Welcome to the Rekindling Ministries podcast series. This is episode 3.12. Today we're diving into the issue of suffering. What is it exactly? Why does God allow it? Uh, and how to handle it? Yep. My name is Shannon Kirkpatrick, and I am the facilitator for Rekindling Ministries. And my name is Zach Rios, and I'm a student studying youth ministry, pastoral leadership, and psychology. Okay, so now we're diving into a, a really heavy topic. Not that some of these other topics haven't been heavy either, mm-hmm. but this is a heavy one, especially emotionally. And even as we were preparing the outline and reviewing all the notes and, and discussing it, you, just, you have a heavy heart um, because we know there's going to be people listening to this study specifically because they're going through suffering, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why they hate, they clicked on this. And so we had a couple comments or, or notes that we wanted to make right from the get-go. One is that this study is is designed to be explored while not in suffering. Yeah, yeah. So that you can have a fresh, focused mindset as, as you work to unpack the issue, and then it can prepare you for any suffering that comes in the future. Uh, and so for those of you that are not going through suffering, you can come at this kind of with a clear, clear mind, um, listen to everything, take notes. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited that you can start getting a better grasp because one of the things you've probably been learning is, as you've listened, hopefully you've been listening to the other unpacking studies or the other other seasons is that we tend to go pretty in depth, pretty comprehensive. And, and what, something we almost always find is that reality is complex. Yeah. And so we don't want to oversimplify things. And so we're going to go to all these complexities. And so if you're one of these, you know, that are, are not going through suffering right now, you can go through this whole study. You can see all these different complexities and nuances yeah. and try to wrap your mind around it and prepare for it so that when you're going through suffering down the road, um, you're ready for it. Yeah. Cause like I've heard a pastor say, even you need to prepare for the trial that you're not yet in. Right. And so just that preemptive work is something Preemptive that we so both huge. think is really important. Yeah. So, so, so that's that. If now, if you're listening to this right now and you're currently going through some kind of suffering or you're still dealing with the suffering from the, from the past, mm-hmm. a couple of things that I want to say. One is that I do hope that this study can help in some way, that there's some bit of insight or understanding or some clarity or aha moment that you find as you're listening through it, that you, that you can find some kind of encouragement, you know, mm-hmm. or, or comfort or strength. But I also realize that, that whatever it is that you're going through, I know, even though I can't necessarily empathize because I don't know what you're going through, I do know that your heart is heavy. Mm-hmm. And I know that your mind is either like racing with questions and thoughts or it's gone numb, you know, in some sort of attempt to cope. And so please, more than anything, I hope that you can find peace, comfort, strength through this challenging time. And, and so if the episode isn't helping, I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, please find somebody trustworthy that, that can come alongside you and grieve with you and, and bring you that comfort. Because one of the things is the way that we've set up the study when we did the unpacking and even now as we're doing this recording is that it is more intellectual than emotional. Now, me personally, I'm not a typical guy that doesn't like emotions. I'm, I'm fully on board with both the mind and the heart. Uh, and I value both equally. We just, the way the unpacking is set up is typically to take a more intellectual approach. Sometimes the emotional still comes out and it will even, even tonight, you know, it, it's, it did in heaven and, and some evil yeah. sin, some of the other ones. Uh, anyways, so we aren't going to spend a lot of time talking about the grieving process, though we are going to try to touch on it. Mainly the point of this unpacking is to be able to wrap our mind around what suffering is and what <clears throat> what the different causes and types of suffering are. And again, why why does God allow it, you know, mm-hmm. if, he, if he's good and loving and powerful? And then a little bit we will do on, on how to respond and endure suffering uh, as it as it arises. Um, 
So I just wanted to say that, you know, kind of, kind of upfront, we, we wanted to, we wanted to acknowledge that. So another thing that we'll say that we've said in, in a lot of the studies is, you know, be prepared for the sheer volume of details and pieces of information that we're about to give here. And, and Sarah had mentioned this in the heaven study. If you're, if you are detail oriented, then just eat all these details up, mm-hmm. write them all down, take notes, put them in a chart that makes sense to you. Da, da, da. If you're not as detail oriented and some of these details or nuances are overwhelming to you, don't, don't ever try to make your goal to process through every single piece of information that we give, mm-hmm. you know, in these studies. And we have, we have notes and outlines and everything else that, that we're saying all. What we're really hoping is, is that you find those details or those pieces of information, mm-hmm. those nuggets that really resonate with you and take those and just hold them tightly, yeah. right, and be, and be encouraged by that. And I think one other note of introduction that we had talked about before is that uh, both of us are really passionate about helping people work through issues and more of that counseling side of things. But neither of us felt that we were really qualified, I think might be the good word, for like to make this really about that side of things, of right. like counseling and really working through issues. So just really reiterating what you were just saying, this is more of the informational preparation side of things with as it relates to suffering yeah uh although we do wish that we could go into um, a lot of that real nitty-gritty working through issues and we do encourage you guys to find your local pastor or someone like that that can actually sit down and walk through and is actually qualified to help you with a lot of the different things that you guys are working through and especially since we're not actually getting to hear any of the situations because every mm-hmm. scenario is different, different every person is different so we're going to give some more generalities and principles with some details mm-hmm. uh that that hopefully you can use with this so with that in mind let's go ahead and recap the last several episodes mm-hmm. uh, and actually even some of the stuff from previous seasons what I want to do here is, is I want to explain to you a number of different concepts because we've been very intentional in how we set up this order. We've yeah. talked about it a couple of times now. And so I, in my head, I was planning out. So this needs to be covered. This needs to be covered. This needs to be covered. These things all need to be covered first so that when we get to the suffering, our mind has already been wrapped around those. That's already kind of clicked and, and on we go. Yeah. And so hopefully again, you've been listening to a lot of these episodes and, and, and compiling all this information but we wanted to highlight some of the key points that we want to go back to of like, listen, this is, this plays into the suffering issue and we need to wrap our mind around it first before we can, we can look at the suffering thing itself. Yeah. And so we really, with that in mind, we wanted to bookend this whole conversation really with scripture and then prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so scripture is something obviously where we find a lot of, we, we find answers, God's revelation to us. Uh, and so we went and looked at the 66 love letters approach to scripture that Larry Crabb talks about. And so that's the idea that God has written through humans to us explaining some of the details of the reality of the reality that we really need to know. And then uh, in prayer, uh, which we're going to get to, I believe, in the next it's episode, the very next episode yeah. uh, we're going to actually talk about what that communion and conversing with God really looks like. The very next episode after this one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Scripture was 3.01 and 3.02. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that, that's one thing, the scripture and prayer. Another thing that's going to come up here is love. You know, and this is one of those tough things. Well, how can a loving God allow suffering? We're going to tr- try to work through all of that. Mm-hmm. 
So we just want to remind you, you need to understand what the definition of love is. And this goes back to that heart, soul, mind, and strength from Mark 12. And so love includes that emotional affection for, it includes that soulful covenantal commitment mentally the, of the mind. It includes trying to understand other people and being very patient and forgiving of them. And then the, through the strength and, and activity, it's that contribution to well-being or contribution to, of good, right? Trying, trying to bring good into other people's lives. Justice also plays into this where, where justice is the making of things right or good. Yeah. And then along the lines of good, uh, we talked about it has a four part definition, but we really focused on good being anything that's beneficial. Uh, and we also recognize that there's sweet and sours to this, which relates back to season one, uh, the discussion we had on that spiritual lens, but basically that there are pleasing good things. So there's good things that will make you smile and there's good things that are going to make you wince. And so recognizing that there are those two different components of good. Yeah. And so uh, kind of jump ahead a little bit. One of the things you're going to find is some suffering is good, hmm. and but it's sour good, not sweet yeah. good. So it's not something that's going to make you smile. It's going to make you wince, but it's still beneficial, mm-hmm. but not necessarily all suffering. And we're we're going to unpack Work through a that lot more. Of that. Yeah. Anyways, and so then inversely of good, you have evil and sin. So where good is, among other things, anything beneficial, evil, among other things, there's a four-part definition to it. What we focus in on is that anything detrimental Hmm. to well-being. And then sin, and and we'll reference this a couple times in this episode, sin, it's a two-part definition. Sin is primarily turning away from God and his beneficial goods that he's offering and secondarily turning to something else outside his parameters that is pleasing but detrimental. And then in addition to that, we talked about interdeterminism. So this was a long episode. It's a great one. Uh, that really, the more Shannon and I even talked about it after we recorded it, it just helped us so much understand what was going on because the conversation really took a different turn than we thought it was going mm-hmm. to before we started. Um, And so this is really just that theory that things happen in life due to a combination of different things. So there's God's actions and influence as well as angels, demons, humans, animals. uh, And then there's also uh, nature and there might be some uh, randomality worked into all of that. And so basically what we decided or what the conclusion that we came to is that there's a wide spectrum of ways that God does interact with different people. And one of the main questions is to what ex or how often does God actually use hard determinism versus soft determinism? And we Which work is through, irresistible versus influential. Yeah. And so yeah. we work through the different percentages of how God really uses the power that he has with his sovereignty. Yeah. So it's cool to think that we're, we actually encourage everybody to hold to the interdeterminism camp, mm-hmm. which is that why does any given thing happen? some combination of factors including God potentially angels or demons man etc within that camp it's that broad camp we may vary on how often or what percentage God's interacting or not interacting mm-hmm. but we all still hold to the mix and so yeah. that, that was kind of cool and so that's that's an assumption or a presupposition that we hold to as we get into this suffering and it really influences our view of suffering Very much here. so yeah so then another thing that we discussed with kind of evil and sin and thinking about interdeterminism is why does evil and sin exist so this is we just you know did episode 3.11 which was sin and we split it into six parts mm-hmm. uh, seven hours and 40 minutes total just talking about evil and sin and in episode 3.11c which is the third sub episode there in that series we talk about why it's an hour and 20 minutes or hour and a half or something like that but we walk through the proposal of can we try to wrap our mind around or find the reasons why this perfect holy awesome good loving god allows evil and sin Mm -hmm. 
and we do, and we 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 true we we do we try to put a proposal together. The basic idea of that is there's there's several points going on. Yeah. One point is that we needed to have irrevocable, limited, significant free will, and we're very particular in each of those phrases, and we define what those mean, et cetera. That that um, God wanted to have that irrevocable, limited, significant free will. He also thought moral responsibility was very important. That He didn't want to go do all the good that needed to get done and take all the credit for it. He actually wanted to share in that, and so He gave angels and man responsibility. They had a moral responsibility to do certain things that He wasn't. Some Sometimes would step in and do if we didn't do, mm-hmm. but other times wouldn't because he's waiting for us to do it. And then with that, another key component is this idea that because he's all loving, he wanted, he, he if you love somebody, you want them to experience beneficial goods. Mm-hmm. And so because God is all loving, perfectly loving, he actually wants people to experience every beneficial good, or at least have the, have the opportunity to. And, and we talked about how some beneficial goods seem that they can only happen in the presence of evil and sin. Mm-hmm. So some examples that we gave was like forgiveness, sacrifice, growth, contrast there's some other ones i think we had like eight or nine that we listed and it seems that these are beneficial goods to experience but they can't happen without evil and so as god was thinking about heaven the future eternal kingdom he knew that he had um, a rule that he wasn't going to allow any evil or sin in this this eternal kingdom meaning that those conditional goods couldn't happen Hmm. so he decided to go ahead and set up a temporary prologue just this messy, broken prologue, um, giving man this this free will and moral responsibility, having them be made of, of dust, which means this this tendency or this prone nature to, to sin, knowing that that sin is going to cause a bunch of problems, but that it does allow for those beneficial goods to exist. Um, and so the idea there is a couple a couple points as far as it's more important for a conditional or a beneficial good to occur than for a detrimental evil to not occur. Uh, and then another one, the, the phrase that we said is, given the full story that God wanted to tell, sin was necessary. So we go a whole lot into all of that. Uh, we also talk about how sin, it does result in pleasure and it results in uh, detriment and it results in prevention of, benef- of certain benefits. But it also opens up the opportunity for other benefits, such as mm-hmm. grace and forgiveness. Paul would talk about this in, in Romans 5 to 8. Anyways, and so so given all of those factors combined... It seemed that the right thing to do was to go ahead and start and have first this temporary broken prologue. Mm-hmm. And that kind of relates back <coughs> even to the seven stage journey, which is one of the lenses we talk about back in season one. Uh, just that journey that we're all on moving from island dwellers uh, to boat riders and water walkers with some different steps in between. And we talk about how there's a purposeful, incomplete, broken, messy, beta version prologue. Mm. Uh, and that's a part of a purposeful, complete, perfect, eternal story. And so really just what you were saying with um, the messy prologue being why, uh, or uh, God allowing evil and sin in this messy prologue, and so then uh, it actually results in some beneficial things that we see right. later on in the perfect, complete version of heaven. Yeah, and so that, that's a big one, and we're mm-hmm. going to come back to this this prologue story issue again and again and again. Yeah, and along those lines, something that we said throughout the evil and sin study was that sin is a serious issue but not a critical one and so that's something that we had uh and so given this prologue something that we were thinking out and we just wanted to throw out here for you guys to maybe start chewing on is that it could be possible that maybe suffering fits in along those same lines that we need to view it as serious and not critical and so really what we mean by that is um 
with sin being a serious issue and not a critical one is since there is the atonement of Christ, death, spiritual death is no longer on, on the table as it relates to sin. Yeah. And so for a believer, uh, you're not going to experience spiritual death since it has been atoned for. Yeah. And so that moves it from a critical issue to a serious one. So it's still something that we need to talk about, we need to address, we need to work through, um, but it's not at the same level of impact that it would be otherwise. And so something we were just kind of throwing around was, does suffering actually fit into that same category? Right, possibly, um, yeah. And so that's just something that we wanted to throw out here. So one of the, one of our hopes that with this episode is that ourselves and you, the listeners, are going to actually begin to change our attitude about suffering to mm -hmm. change our understanding of it and to change our attitude, which is also going to change our behavior and learning. It's going to be tough mm -hmm. because your flesh is going to want to take more of the kind of the victim mentality type route and it's unfair. This is not cool, etc. And your flesh has an argument to some extent. Um, but we kind of want to move up, up, uh, up beyond that. So there's going to be a number of times throughout this study that we're going to be referencing just some things to keep in mind that might be kind of tough to hear. Mm -hmm. But it seems that, you know, one of the things we said in the sin study was we're trying to create a more moderate approach to sin. Uh, and by moderate, we mean healthy mm -hmm. because actually it'll help decrease the sin in your life. Yeah. And so it's one of these things here where we probably have a somewhat unhealthy or distorted view of suffering. And as long as we have that unhealthy or distorted or immature view of suffering, we're not going to be able to, to wrap our minds around it and wrestle with it as well as we could. Yeah. So we want to be willing, this is where humility comes in, we want to be willing to uh, change the way that we, that we see suffering um, because it may go a long way in helping us endure it better. Yeah, and something with what you just said, uh, if we recognize why sin and evil exist, especially in our own lives, we can limit it. And I think as we go through this study, we're going to find out that that's not necessarily the case with suffering. That if we recognize why it comes about and God's purpose in a lot of it, mm -hmm. uh, and we start getting into the complexity, it's not so much that we're going to be able to stop suffering in our own lives, but we're going to be able <laughs> to recognize the complexity of it and work through it more effectively. Yeah, and, and you're going to see there is some limiting that we can do, but it's sure. on certain categories, yeah. and we'll get into that later. Which will make more sense as we go on. Yeah. So another thing to keep in mind, uh, just wanted to reference before we get into the actual study. So the BibleProject.com, I, I absolutely love that site. Um, mm -hmm. So quality, so quality. And I love just sitting and watching all their videos. Um, it's, they're amazing. I highly recommend you go to the BibleProject.com and they have, they have a YouTube channel as well. Mm -hmm. So but anyways, in their Job study, we're going to come back to Job and reference it, but in their Job study, in the video there, they made a statement and it just, it struck me. Um, and it said that this world was never intended to not have suffering. Hmm. And it sounds kind of dark, you know, to say that, but I, but so why am I encouraged by that statement? Just, I don't know why I just am because it just, it helps me make more sense of this. That, that is, it is the reality. This world was never intended to not have suffering. It's the next world hmm. that was intended to not have suffering and the next world will not have suffering. And so that's a, a shift in this understanding of that. It's not that this world that we're currently in was not supposed to have suffering and somehow got screwed up. It seems that it's part of the story. Mm -hmm. Actually, I would say even more strongly than it seems. It is part of the story uh, that we're going to find some of these verses that we get into later. But, but I wanted to throw that out there to chew on. 
Yeah, and that really relates back to the hope in heaven study. And so we talked a lot about how hoping is holding on to positive expectations and heaven is really the fulfillment of that hope. Mm -hmm. And so we need to take refuge in the coming beneficial good and promises that God has declared, going right back to what you just said, that this world was uh, was never intended to not have suffering, but heaven is. And so it is going to have that. So we can look forward to that with that positive expectation of heaven. And so some hopes will be fulfilled in this life, but the majority of the big ones, the complete ones, won't be fulfilled to the next life. So we, we have to endure mm-hmm. and, and persevere uh, until then. We're going to reference this again later, but there's a verse in Proverbs talking about hope, and, and, and it's one of these kind of on the surface discouraging. It's a discouraging verse, but for whatever reason, I find it very encouraging. And it talks about how hope deferred makes the heart sick, but then hope fulfilled is like joy to the soul or delight to the soul or something. But that first part of the phrase, that hope deferred, makes the heart sick. So while that hope hasn't happened yet, the writer of that Proverbs recognizes it's going to make your heart sick. And I I just, I take encouragement because I think it's just accepting the reality, right? It's, 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 it's acknowledging. Well, what what's going on there? And mm-hmm. so, so we do want to admit that part of this life, we're going to have a sick heart. Mm-hmm. It's just part of it, and not this whole suck it up, just deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's a balance here. So, like for example, another thing I wanted to say was, if we had two extreme audiences that are listening to this, one extreme is like totally devastated by the suffering, almost paralyzed, mm-hmm. they can't breathe, they don't know how to go through it, and then the other extreme is kind of these. I don't know, thicker skinned or cold hearted or, you know, depending on who's describing yeah. them, there's different phrases, but they're kind of like, why are you being a crybaby? Right. Just, just suck it up and move on. Mm-hmm. And what we want both of those extremes to do is to move towards the middle. Yeah. And so for those that, that are paralyzed, we're not saying suck it up. We just want to give you that strength you need to kind of pull yourself together and get a little stronger and heal mm-hmm. Um, a little bit. And then for those that are more at the other stream, listen, maybe the way you're wired, this stuff doesn't, isn't as emotionally traumatic for you, but that doesn't mean that other people aren't. And maybe you're too unemotionally <laughs> affected mm-hmm. by this, you know? And so you need to move a little bit towards that middle. Um, you move from the nineties down to the seventies. And those of you who are in the single digits move up to the twenties, you know, sure. kind, kind of idea there. Um, anyways, keep going. Yeah, and so another concept that that really touches on is another lens that we talked about in season one, and that's the eternal, internal, external lens. Uh, And so we talked a lot about how uh, you need to have a mindset that is more focused on the eternal and then uh, secondarily focus on the internal, which almost relates back to be, do, have uh, your own character development before you worry about uh, things that are happening externally. So eternal relates a lot back to heaven, uh, just having this uh, more long-term view of things, being ready to think through that, as opposed to being affected by a lot of the external things that are going on around. And that can be really powerful in just changing your perspective, especially as it relates to suffering. Um, and I, I, just for me personally, I think that that's one of these points that affects the, my understanding of suffering uh, probably to one of one of the most greatest degrees that was not worded very well so i apologize for that but it just really impacts my understanding of suffering in a powerful way Uh, so i would encourage you guys to go back and listen to that one if you're having some trouble really working through suffering uh faith and maturity you're going to come in here so we did did an episode on each one of those Mm -hmm. earlier in the season 
the idea there, you know, faith equals that belief plus trust, where belief is that internal acknowledgement and then trust is that active reliance upon. Mm -hmm. And so trust is going to play a, a huge role in this. And again, I, I don't want to trust in, in this perfect God who's allowing the suffering in the first place. And I see how that can be kind of contrary. But one of the things that we've learned is is the more that you place that active reliance upon God, the more reliable you become and mm -hmm. the more he can rely on you. And these can't <coughs> these can't be done in a vacuum. Yeah. So for example, let's say I wanted to help you overcome your fear of rats. What's something that I have to have you deal with? Um probably rats rats yeah. yeah i can't help you overcome it without rats being around mm -hmm. and so this idea of trust if everything is all hunky dory and good and perfect then trust is not really that necessary mm -hmm. and so for trust to really develop we have to have these situations like this um and but encouragingly knowing that the more that we do trust the, the more mature we become mm -hmm. i really love the definition that we had from that maturity study that that christian growth or maturity is the further advancement leveling up into our individual full potential which comes through deliberate gradual progress over time as we augment uh, augment enable and tweak our spiritual nature thoroughly in every necessary detail by applying the details of scripture to the details of our lives as we walk in step with the spirit until we reach that complete, excellent, perfectly sound Christ-like character according to our design so that we may most fully love God and others, which will be rewarded in heaven. Mm -hmm. And so the idea here is the more mature you become, the better able you are to handle suffering, knowing that suffering is one of the avenues that God uses to achieve maturity. Mm -hmm. So we want to keep that in mind. And that really re relates to the idea of humility, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And so with humility, that's in short, really just kneeling and adoration, submission and security. Uh, and so what does that really look like specifically? We're going to do an unpacking on that later, but just to, because um, I believe we haven't done humility. We did, but we, ha we haven't recorded it yet. Okay. We, we did the study. We just yeah, haven't recorded so it. So a podcast hasn't come out for that yet. So just to give you an idea of what all that means, that's having a deep, awe-filled adoration of our perfect Lord and excitedly yielding to and serving him while you're comfortably conscious of your own lowness and shortcomings, <sighs> resting securely in him and his ability to take care of you. And so what does that include? It includes being obedient even to the point of death. Uh, which which is hard, uh, walking worthy with a tenderly strong and gentle spirit. And so this is something that God tremendously rewards if we choose to act as humble vessels because he desires humility in humans so much because he recognizes all of the beneficial things that are going to come from it that he's will bring us down low through affliction if we stubbornly refuse otherwise. And so right here, we can even begin to see uh, a connection between humility and more of that God-caused suffering, that God is actually willing to bring about um, some suffering in order to help us be humble. And then another thing that we want to keep in mind is uh, the flight, fight, f persevere lens. Mm -hmm. And so this is back in season one. We would encourage you to actually go back and listen to that one. Mm -hmm. Um, if you haven't done so already, this is such a critical component to this study that we're going to, we're going to touch on flight, fight, persevere again, when we get to the application, one of the things that we want you to know is that person, we'll just kind of say this right now, perseverance, endurance, and patience are basically synonyms mm -hmm. in scripture. And so we will, we will kind of give you a quick definition of, of like, what is patience? Because patience is going to, you know, think about long suffering. A lot of times patience is translated mm -hmm. long suffering. 
And so the idea of patience and endurance and perseverance is simply to sit in the midst of suffering to allow it to happen so you can grow stronger. So, so the, the fight, flight, persevere, to flee is to get away from the suffering. To fight is to overcome, defeat it, and cease the suffering. Persevere is to allow the suffering to continue, sit in that suffering, and endure it. Let it happen to you, but grow stronger through it, not defeat it. And we're going to highlight later what, what, what we mean by that. But, but what I'll say right now with patience, uh, it's choosing to allow and endure any kind of difficult thing, suffering, pain, tribulation, persecution, wrongdoing, temptation, sin, whatever, remaining internally steadfast and undefeated without anger or complaint, refraining from enforcing what may be do or right in the moment, instead responding with understanding, tolerance, calmness, and acts of love, persevering towards some greater good or benefit. So we need to, in other words, say this is remember and remain steadfast, release any angst, refrain from enforcing, respond with true love, and rejoice in the results. The Bible says that patience is more valuable than capturing a city with such results as it pleases God, it calms strife, it's life to the body, um, it's ex- it, it exhibits an ornament of wisdom and strength. Hmm. So one of the things that will stay with this is with suffering, one of the common answers is to persevere, is to endure, is to remain patient. And when we realize that that means to let the suffering happen, mm, we don't like that. And it's we want to fight it and we want to push it. But this is one of the things that, you know, a lot of Christians love to take the easy parts of Scripture and, and, and vehemently defend them, passionately defend them. That's great. But then when it comes to the tougher parts, we either ignore it or we try to redefine. Oh, it doesn't mean that. It means this. Hmm. Um, nope. The Bible is supposed to stretch us, and and patience and perseverance is a huge component throughout all of Scripture. It produces character. We're going to read some of these verses on this later, and so it's just one of those things. We're kind of warning you ahead of time. Um, now, this is not. We're not saying this is true for all suffering. That you're not supposed to endure all suffering. It's much more complex than that. So sometimes you are supposed to fight it. Sometimes you are supposed to flee it. Other times you're supposed to endure it. Right. And so we'll come back to all of that. Uh, and then one last thing that. We wanted to to address and kind of bring attention to before before we get into the to the unpacking itself is so uh, Zach mentioned this earlier Larry Crabb I love Larry Crabb he's my, my favorite human author uh, he wrote a bunch of great books one of them is called Sixty Six Love Letters it's one of the five books I recommend everybody read along with Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline and and, and uh, Randy Alcorn's Heaven and, and, and a couple others anyways. Um, Long story short, with the 66 love letters, Crabb talks about how we're supposed to see each book of the Bible as like a love letter from God. And he gives example of like his high school sweetheart. And I had a, I had a girl that I had dated uh, in, in high school, sort of dated uh, as high school as can. We met at a camp. She was from the Chicago area, uh, Kankakee, and I was from, from Peoria, East Peoria area. And so we met at this camp, and then we wrote it. This is before cell phones and emails and all that, so we wrote each other letters all the time. Mm-hmm. And so each time that I got a letter from her, and she would put flowers and, and hearts and all that kind of stuff on it, I would read it and reread it and reread it. She could be talking about nail polish, didn't care. I just wanted to reread it because it was from her. Mm-hmm. And um, so Crab talks about the same thing. And he says that we need to treat the Bible the same way. And he was really convicted that he didn't treat it that way. You know, like, do, do, do I read Leviticus and Deuteronomy the way that I read Chris's letters? No. Mm-hmm. But it's a love letter. I should read it that way. So he wrote this book, 66 Love Letters. And he, and he took a couple years and he just read each book of the Bible. He prayed. He talked with God. I love the way, I love the communication, the conversations that him and God have. And, and he wrote this, and it was amazing. 
And so one of the things is at the end of the book, he writes uh, uh, an epilogue or a final chapter, and it's 66 paragraphs, each paragraph being a summary of the chapter on that book of the Bible. And I really like that. So one of the things I did, I ended up doing this um, twice, but I, I read through the entire book of the Bible um, using his approach, and I wrote a one-sentence summary of what I was getting from each book of the Bible. And, and, and you write it as if God's talking to you. And so then, and then, as, so I did Genesis, and I felt that Genesis, what I felt God saying was, I have a plan for you that you're going to have a tendency to draw away from, because we see this throughout, it's one of the patterns in Genesis, and there's more than one pattern, it was just, that was the pattern I saw the first time I did it. Sure. And uh, anyways, so, and then I memorized that, uh, and then as I went through Exodus, I kept memorizing the Genesis phrase, and then by the time I finished Exodus, I formed a sentence for there, and then memorized it as I went to Leviticus. So it took me two and a half years to, to, to do this. So I went through and I memorized all 66, and of course I have my notes here, but so each, each book has its own sentence, and so I actually want to read this out for you. Um, yeah, and, and what, 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 uh, Zach and I will alternate it, so we'll just, we, we won't necessarily read the book itself, okay. but just know that as we're going sentences, I'm doing Genesis, he's doing Atticus, Exodus, I'm doing Leviticus, etc. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so this is if, as if God's talking. What was amazing to me was I just wrote the sentences kind of individually separately, but when you put them all together, they actually tell a story. And we're not going to read the New Testament, we're just going to read the Old Testament for right now, but, but listen to these words and, and see some of the things that keep coming up and and then we'll reference one of them at the end. So, I have a plan for you that you will have a tendency to draw away from. But I will complete my plan. And that plan is to make you holy, make you complete. Know that it is a painful process for both you and I. But I'm 100% committed and in are you. If you are, you need to root out your internal enemies. Uh, If you do this, I will reward you. If you don't, I'll get your attention. And this is what my, what my commitment is to be loyally. And this is my commitment. Loyal love is what it's all about. So remember, this is so much more about internal character more than external attributes. And know that most of the world will not pursue this change in process and transformation. For those who do, there's a pattern. They're in awe of me and they passionately study my word. They are in awe of me and obey my word. And they build the wall or task that I give them. If you do this, I will be working behind the scenes to help you the entire time. Remember, it is a painful, sacrificial process, so get ready for it and trust me the entire time. And get emotional, rejoice, cry out, praise, submit, trust, and find contentment and peace. And get intellectual, use my wisdom in navigating through these trials. Remember that my wisdom doesn't always make sense on the human level. And know that a passionate relationship with your spouse, your partner in crime, can go a long way. Prepare to get slapped, then hugged. I'm getting your attention and giving you hope and strength. I'll repeat that. Prepare to get slapped, then hugged. I'm getting your attention and giving you hope and strength. Lament your proclivity and tendency to sin. And be in awe of my majesticness. If you do this, I have your back and I will protect you. And know that even when you stray from me, I will not stray from you, for I am faithful. So please strive to be faithful to me. Which can only be done by being intentional and not cutting corners. Remember, no one gets away with anything in the end. All will be held accountable. All will be made right. Now when I call you to a tough task, do it and don't complain. Because tough tasks and brokenness are a part of the process. And I will be with you, fighting for you the entire way. So persevere and endure. Going deep in your relationship with me. 
and build the temple and task that I have for you. Wait excitedly for me to return. Not cutting corners or staying shallow as you wait. Become more and more complete. What do you think of that, Zach? I really like, because uh, I've heard this a couple different times uh, through different teachings and things, and I really like the story that it gives as you come through uh, and you listen to really the narrative that it lays out of the Old Testament. And so that's that's one of the things that I really, really like about it. Yeah, I, I by the time this is all finished, I was just in awe. Hmm. Of, of what was what was emerging from that but one of the things that jumps out uh, if you look at Genesis I have a plan for you that you're going to have a tendency to draw away from numbers know that it is a painful process for both you and I uh, judges if you do this and you're rooting out your eternal internal enemies I'll reward you if you don't I'm going to get your attention Job it is a painful sacrificial process so get ready for it and trust me the entire time <coughs> Isaiah and Jeremiah <coughs> pretty much had the same message mm-hmm. Because Isaiah and Jeremiah go back and forth between encouraging prophecies and and, and convicting prophecies, yeah. so <clears throat> prepare. <clears throat> excuse me, prepare to get slapped then hugged. I'm I'm getting your attention and I'm giving you hope and strength. Uh, and then you look at Micah because tough tasks and brokenness are part of the process. And then uh, Habakkuk so persevered and endure. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so all throughout there, it's just flat out saying from the get go. Yeah. That part of this, you know, going and going back to the Exodus or, or the uh, uh, Leviticus, my plan is to make you holy or make you complete. So one of the things I say a lot, you know, with know thyself and that is, is all of us are born the incomplete versions of ourselves, and in heaven will be the complete versions of ourselves, and they're freaking beautiful, mm-hmm. right? We're all going to be just stunning in, um, in, in, in how we are as a person, but we don't want to wait to heaven to achieve that. We want to begin doing it now, knowing that you won't finish it in the prologue Mm -hmm. in in this side of the gates, but you want to begin to transform and change and mature and move into that complete version of you. And that's part of the plan of the prologue. That goes back to what we're saying with the evil sin study, that growth and transformation. There's even more to it. That's not the only reason, but it's one of the main reasons. And, and then with that, it, it has to include suffering. Mm -hmm. It has to include some kind of trials, you know, an affliction, um, so that we can, we can develop the character. It's just the way it is. Um, can I get into why maybe, I don't know if we need to, we just need hmm. to accept, accept the reality of that. So I wanted to highlight that because that really just jumps out in, in scripture alone. So given all that, we can go ahead and move into the study. And the idea here is, is you know, always with these, um, we have the four things we're trying to, to answer. What is the definition of this? And then what are all the details and nuances? How does it work exactly? How does it play out? And then what are the benefits to this or the motivations or reasons I should be embracing this? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then, <clears throat> excuse me, and then application, what, what am I supposed to do with this practically, right? So going into that, as always, but we start off first with the, uh, the terminology. And so when we, we did this one a year ago, and if, if you've been listening to all the unpackings, you know, we go first through like the family of words that we chose, and then we go through all the Hebrew and Greek, and we, we, we say the words um, and give you the kind of the frequencies of mention and things like that. When we did this, this suffering one, I was trying to experiment with a couple different ways, and so I was using some different software that laid things out in a different way. So because of that, we're going to present this a little bit differently than we normally do, but it's still the same uh, principle at all. Yeah. So we're going to read to you each of the family of words that we looked up, and then we're going to mention some of the some of the definitions that that came from that. So if this is your first time, you know, listening to an unpacking study, you want to go back and listen to some of the other ones and see how we do kind of the full version of it. 
But what we're doing here is, is we're reading off to you all the different words that we looked up in Scripture when we were doing this study. And then we looked up the Hebrew and Aramaic and, and Greek wording for all those um, so that we can really start to get an idea of what exactly do these words mean in the original language to make sure we're getting the, the, the depth that we need. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, we looked up affliction. And so affliction shows up, uh, the, and we use the, the New American Standard Bible. Affliction shows up 150 times in the Old Testament and 33 times in the New Testament. The, uh, the Hebrew words had several different meanings. And uh, this is really small print. And so <laughs> I got to uh, uh, take my glasses off here. Anyways, but some of the key words for affliction in the Hebrew can mean without property, poor, wretched, needy. It can also mean to humiliate or oppress, to be wretched or emaciated, to cringe or crouch, to hunch up, wretched, suffering, to bend or submit, um, to have violence done to. It can also mean captivity, misery, some sort of oppressed situation or poverty. It can also mean bowed down. Uh, it also uses the one of the words from evil to be evil or bad or, or be treated badly. And then in the Greek, the, the words used for affliction can mean, can mean affliction, distress, uh, oppression, tormented, to be whipped uh, or disturbed or seized. Yeah, and then we also saw trouble uh, 96 times in the Old Testament and 23 times in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, that could mean enmity, need, distress, anxiety, acquisition, harm, trouble, care, anxiety, or need. It could mean to entangle. Uh, put into disorder, bring disaster, uh, throw into confusion or ruin. It could be wickedness, depravity, misfortune or disaster, uh, tying up, being restricted, uh, to be depressed or worried, to harass, stirring up trouble. Uh, and then there's uh, some other words that were only used just a couple times. But in the New Testament, it uh, can mean to be troubled, to be disturbed, uh, to trouble, bother and annoy. Uh, also to annoy evil and wickedness or malice, free from care, to be distressed, to be in anxiety, be troubled, uh, disturbed, distressed, or upset. Well, that was all the trouble yeah, words? These are all the trouble words. So then we looked up distress, and, and you're going to hear a lot of overlap mm-hmm. as we go through this, because a lot of times the, a Hebrew or Greek word was used, it was translated in, into the English in a number of these ways. But anyway, so we looked up the word distress. Uh, it shows up 100 times in the Old Testament and 16 times in the New Testament. And the idea behind them uh, in the Hebrew, uh, it can mean uh, enmity, uh, need, distress, anxiety, to wrap or envelop or tie or lock up, to be cramped, restricted, hampered. Uh, to be depressed or worried or harassed, something narrow or meager or restrained, anxiety, hardship, anguish, evil, wickedness, depravity, misfortune, disaster, to be pressed or driven or oppressed, to be evil or bad or, or, or done badly, um, to cry or cry out for help. And then in the Greek, it can mean um, some sort of necessity or pressure or distress or trouble or difficulty or anxiety or affliction or bothered or annoyed or very excited or alarmed or seized. So you're seeing some some repeat there. Mm -hmm. Next, we have oppress, which is 91 times in the Old Testament and six times in the New Testament. Uh, And in the Old Testament, it can mean to oppress, exploit, uh, to push, to torment, oppression or brutality, uh, minimal minimal survival rations, Um, It could be to shatter, smash, smite, uh, to mistreat, be violent, uh, the idea of even pressing something. 
um, to be miserable or violent. Uh, and then in the New Testament, it can mean uh, to torment, to wear down, uh, mistreatment, to break, or even to exploit. Then we also looked up suffering, and suffering shows up 13 times in the Old Testament, 77 times in the New. And so in the Hebrew, um, the idea is there's a word that can mean to carry or lift up or bring up uh, or to exalt or maintain. The idea there is I kind of think taking out of the suffering Hmm. Uh, and then or burdened with grief, become anxious, uh, to be hungry or suffer, suffer famine or starve to be made heavy or hard or difficult or have difficulties, some kind of pain or suffering. Uh, it can also just mean to visit or inspect. This was one of the words like with judgment that, that the Lord says, I will punish you or judge you. Hmm. A lot of times the Hebrew word actually means, means to visit you. Hmm. We're, we're going to do a, a, a packing on judgment and punishment in our time. But anyways, it can also mean badly or of small worth or poor or wicked or evil, uh, to come to grief or to suffer harm or suffer loss or to experience harm or loss. Uh, it can also mean to be guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the Greek, really almost always the, the word used just means flat out suffering. It can also mean like forfeit or to suffer some kind of loss uh, or to be seized. Yeah, and then uh, the next word we have here is calamity, which is actually only in the Old Testament, and it's used 76 times. The vast majority of the times, calamity means evil, wickedness, depravity, misfortune, or disaster, uh, with, again, that idea of disaster. But it could also, a much smaller percentage, probably less than a quarter, uh, it could be badly made of small worth uh, to do or be evil, bad, to treat badly. Um, the idea of wickedness and depravity. It could even be like plagues or death or a threat of destruction um, or horror and that sort of thing. When we looked up uh, pain, I'm sorry, wounded, uh, and wounded shows up 58 times in the Old Testament and 10 times in the New. And so in the Hebrew, it can mean wound, plague, blow, defeat, slain, pierced, deflowered to be struck down or smitten or struck dead, to hit or injure, to grow weak or tired, to fall sick, to be Ill, Ill to feel pain, uh, to smash or be smashed, to writhe or tremble, uh, to be injured, can mean sore or ulcer or boil. Uh, and then in the Greek, it can mean a plague or a, a blow, a wound, a strike on the head, uh, to be beaten or struck or bruised. Also, harm, we see 50 times in the Old Testament and 15 times in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's uh, evil or wickedness, can be depravity, misfortune, or disaster. Uh, to do or be evil, bad, to treat badly, um, could be poorly made, of small worth, poor, contemptible, uh, reprobate, reprobate even. Uh, it could be a fatal accident uh, or destroying something. Um, and that's uh, the Hebrew words. In the Greek, it could be to do wrong, harm, or injure. It could be just evil or wrong, uh, or doing evil, harming, or hurting, or being harmful. Then we looked up pain. Uh, it's 50 times in the Old Testament and nine in the New. And so in the Hebrew, it can be pain or suffering, or pangs or spasm, uh, or spoil, or labor pains, any kind of strenuous work, or hardship, or agony, or anxious toil or to be provoked or experience pain, um, to be rebuked or hurt, to hurt oneself. 
And then in the Greek, we see that it can mean, again, pain or affliction, torture, torment, grief, sorrow, uh, agony, birth pains. Mm -hmm. And then with persecution, we see that 15 times in the Old Testament, 41 times in the New Testament. Uh, and most of the time in the Old Testament, it actually means to pursue or follow <laughs> after, probably so then persecution can occur. Uh, also, it could mean to treat with hostility or to attack, be at enmity with, be hostile towards, or just persecution. And then in the New Testament, uh, it, it means to pers persecute, uh, or a small percent of the time, it can be distress or affliction. We'll give you two more words here as far as the breakdown. Uh, we looked up disaster. It's just 40 times in the Old Testament. And so it can mean evil, wickedness, depravity, misfortune, um, badly. I'm kind of just, just looking through here. Something that, uh, that, that breaks or collapses, misfortune, fear, or trembling, or plague. Yeah, and then anguish, uh, we see 29 times in the Old Testament, two times in the New Testament. So it could be uh, to be in labor, to writhe, tremble, uh, bring forth through labor. Uh, shaking or trembling could be distress. Again, that idea of labor pains, fear and pain, uh, enmity, need and distress, uh, the idea of need and hardship, narrowing. Uh, labor, again, there's uh, like four different words that actually all mean labor in this, which is... Uh, interesting. Uh, it could mean acquisition or harm or trouble. And then with the two times it's used in the New Testament, one time it means distress, anguish, or dismay. And then the other time it means distress or affliction. So those are the primary words that were used the most. There were also other, other words that we looked up as well when we did these searches. So like we, we looked up loss, which, uh, which is seven times in the Old Testament, 10 in the New. We looked up tribulation, which is only 20 times in the New Testament. Torment shows up twice in the Old Testament, 18 in the New. Hurt is 14 times in the Old Testament and five in the New. Violated, 16 and 2. Trial, 4 and 14. Adversity, 15 times in the Old Testament. Hardship, seven times in both of the Testaments. Mistreat, four and eight. Injury, seven times just in the Old Testament. Misery, five and two. Forfeit, three and three. And then peril shows up once in the New Testament. So these were all the words that we looked up. And and even as we were going through definitions, heavy, mm -hmm. right? Uh, that's rough. Yeah. There's a rough language in there. And so all said and done, all of these words show up a total of 1,193 times. So 852 in the Old Testament and 322 in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. it comes, so it comes out to this idea of suffering shows up every 1.53 uh, pages in the Old Testament and then every 1.1 page it's mentioned in the New. So another, another fairly frequent topic. Mm -hmm. um, now there were some other words that we had started to look up, but they are used in so many different ways and, and not necessarily just in the... Um, uh, suffering, of suffering, yeah, suffering. Yeah. So, struck, poor, famine, nakedness, needy, hunger. Uh, we didn't not including them just because that would like that would just start to go on too many tangents. Grief was another thing. So, grief. Just side note, because we're going to come back to that in, in this topic. Uh, we're we're going to do an unpacking on grief in, in 2018. Mm -hmm. So, so those were all the, the Hebrew and Aramaic words that we looked up, and so so definitely all of it showed this is rough, right? These these are mm -hmm. tough, tough, tough things happening. And we got a, a, a number of different words that we could use for that. So then, as always, the second thing that we do 
is we go into the Merriam-Webster and Farlex dictionaries and we look up all those key words that showed up in the definitions and we see what the definitions of those words are. Yeah. And so just to give you some more information, uh, according to the, to the Merriam-Webster, affliction, something that causes pain or suffering or the state of being afflicted by something that causes pain or suffering. Trouble is a state or condition of distress, annoyance, or difficulty. Distress is a pain or suffering that affects the body or mind. Oppress is to crush or burden by abuse of power or authority, to burden spiritually or mentally, or the idea of weighing heavily upon. Suffering means to endure death, pain, or distress, to sustain some loss or damage. Calamity is a state of or disastrous event marked by deep distress or misery, which is caused by major misfortune or loss. Wounded means to be injured, hurt by, or suffering from a wound, whether emotional, mental, or physical hurt. Harm is physical or mental damage, also injury. Pain is an acute mental or emotional distress or suffering or grief. Persecution is the condition of being harassed, annoyed, or persecuted in a manner designed to injure, grieve, or afflict. Disaster, a sudden calamitous event bringing great damage, loss, or destruction, a sudden or great misfortune or failure. Anguish is extreme pain, distress, or anxiety. Loss means um, some kind of destruction or ruin or deprivation, which means being kept from possession, using, or enjoying. Adversity is a state or instance of serious or continued difficulty or misfortune. And then misery is a state of suffering and want that is the result of poverty or affliction, a state of great unhappiness and emotional distress. So again, still dark. Heavy, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and a lot of overlap, right? Uh, we find when we do these studies, a lot of times the words, they just almost like cyclical, you know, uh, misery means bad, bad means misery, you know, or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, so, so we looked up all those words. Uh, helping us to continue, you know, with this this vein of are, are we understanding everything correctly? Then from there, that's when we 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 start to do an initial uh, definition of of, of suffering. We we discuss this when we do these studies. Then we move into all the scripture, and so we look up those one thousand one hundred ninety three verses. Mm-hmm. So depending on how many people are in the group, we split all that up, and then over a couple of weeks, everyone goes through their assignments, and they and and the goal is to read all the verses, though you won't necessarily study all because we've all got jobs and work and everything else. Sure. Um, but you're definitely trying to look for you know contextually, always pay attention to context, uh, and then what what is one of the patterns or themes or a cool little insight or nugget of truth that comes out from that, and then we all share them together in the group, and. As we're going through this, we're starting to work through the definition and the nuances and the benefits and, and, and even application and all that. Mm-hmm. So we split the Bible into, I think, six or seven sections. We have the, the Torah, then we do the historical books, then we do the wisdom literature, then we do the prophets, then we do the gospel, gospel and acts, then we do the epistles and revelations. We have those six sections. So going through all of that, we then come to the summary uh, of what, of what uh, suffering is. And so one of the things I'll say is, we always encourage people, and right now it's all just local uh, here in, in Lynchburg, Virginia, but we encourage people to come to these studies. We do, I mean, a dozen or more a year, mm-hmm. and, uh, and they're usually four weeks, four, usually four-week studies. And so we encourage people to actually come to the study so that they can firsthand read these scriptures, see what other people are saying, you know, and that kind of deal. The point of these podcasts is to go ahead and give you the summary, but like, like a detailed summary yeah. of, of what we found. So all that to say... This is, and we have each person write their own definition. Mm-hmm. The idea being that we're all going to be coming to the similar 
idea mm-hmm. about this concept, but it, we need to be free to use the words that resonate with us, that really yeah. stick with us. And so it's kind of cool getting to hear everybody's definitions. And also just seeing uh, the different <coughs> concepts from different angles can really give us a much more complete view of what a concept actually is talking about. If you have someone that really sees this side of things and someone that sees right. the opposite, it really just helps you understand a more full version of what it actually looks like. So so here's the, the definition of suffering that I have. Uh, given everything we studied, to experience some difficulty, damage, loss, or lack leading to mental, physical, or emotional anguish, as well as potentially spiritual glorification. And so that, of course, requires you to know what glorification is, which is a resplendent heaviness. Mm -hmm. So... First and foremost, it's just understanding you're experiencing some you know, difficulty of, of whatever type that causes some sort of anguish of whatever type. And potentially, depending on all the details, uh, it can help increase your resplendent heaviness, this idea of, of making you the more complete version. So then I put in my notes a, a keynote to keep in mind with this, that suffering is an inherent, inevitable part of this world's design restrained within limits by God already, uh, amazingly as a sign of his goodwill and love toward us, both with purpose and worth and comfort and hope. Mm-hmm. And so the idea there is that it is, an, it is inevitable. It's just part of the reality of this prologue. Um, but there's some sort of purpose or worth that can come from it. There's some sort of comfort and hope that can be clung to in the midst of it. And so another thing that I wrote here is suffering is all about I'm uh, sorry, suffering is all about how we choose to respond. And so the idea here is we need to be changing our focus off the, the pain itself. Again, not ignoring the pain, right? Yeah. But you don't want to be hyper-focused on the pain. You also don't want to be hyper-focused on the wrongness of it um, or the unfairness of it because that can lead to a victim mentality. And you really want to shift to what does a proper, healthy, mature response look like to yeah. it? How can I heal through it and grow stronger through it? And and this, again, is going to be hard. We're going to want to focus on the pain mm-hmm. and try to get attention for that. Or we want to focus on the wrongness or unfairness of it and, get, and kind of get bitter and, and, and want, to, want to point fingers and such. Um, but it seems that those are not the proper ways to handle suffering. I get it. I really do. But one of the things that we're trying to do in this study is encourage you and me, Zach, and encourage the listeners mm-hmm. to, well, listen, we know that it's a given now. And we know that really hyper-focusing on the pain itself or the wrongness or unfairness of it doesn't really get us anywhere. Yeah. So what might be another option? It may be a difficult option, but what is, what, what is the better option? Yeah, and then my definition... Uh, is very similar to yours. I just uh, think that I have a different emphasis and it's actually something that I'm really still trying to work through just the complexity (coughs) of because even when we went through the study, I think I had um, a much more blanket type approach to this and I was trying to fit it under one umbrella without really taking into account the the complexities of this. Yeah. Um, And so really uh, part of what I emphasize with this is I still agree that it is uh, really everything that you said experiencing some difficulty damage or lack of leading to mental physical or emotional anguish as well as spiritual glorification 
Um, but something that I really have found uh, is with like not focusing on pain or wrongness and really allowing suffering to point you back to God and how that's really one of the um, primary points of this. And so I, it, even for me, it relates back to my definition of evil and sin that we've talked about, right. um, that evil and sin is primarily a turning away from God and his beneficial things and secondarily to something else. So I think that really uh, part of the point of suffering is two parts to point us back to God and then his beneficial things. Um, yeah. There is complexity with that though, because I would like to just say that across the board, uh, the point of suffering is to bring us back to God and his beneficial things. But when you start getting into what we're about to discuss with some of this complexity with other initiated suffering, so suffering yeah. that God doesn't initiate, how does that actually all play together? And that's something that um, I'm still trying to work through, so I don't have a nice, clear, concise definition, um, but it's something that I'm trying to work towards as I try and factor in all these different things. Yeah, and that, that brings up a good point of just these unpackings and how people you know, bring, well, they bring different presuppositions to the table and they even have different takeaways from the table, right? And so when we had went through that, because we even had a big argument about it that yeah, night that, 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 that broke out. But think, you know, uh, time and, and looking back, you know, 2020 hindsight and that kind of deal, what was happening was, and, and you just vocalized it, um, you were you were looking at w one of the main things that had really resonated with you. Mm -hmm. And what and, and it was it was definitely a common theme and a, like a very frequent theme yeah. that it like the answer really is to turn back to God. Mm -hmm. And, but not just turn back to God, yeah. turn back to God so that, um, you can see how good and, and important he and really is and you can get comfort and mm -hmm. return, you know, et cetera. And so one the, the way the argument had broke out was, uh, Rachel was in, was in that group that night too. Rachel and I, we've either, well, Rachel had experienced a lot of suffering in her own and I, I had experienced some, but I had talked with tons of people one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. And so we knew that was definitely one of the core principles yeah. it was just that there were other things going on as well there were mm -hmm. other nuances other other reasonings you know etc yeah and we, we wanted to kind of bring it back to that too because some people aren't ready to hear that point or even yeah. given the suffering that's not the point in that suffering but this but this will come out mm -hmm. um when we, when we when we go through the details of that but it was just cool seeing we all have those certain things that click yeah. with us, mm -hmm. and 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 so and and you want to find the things that resonate with you. And one of the reasons why I like the unpacking is knowing that usually it is complex. There's other things that are going to resonate with other people, mm -hmm. and so we always have to take that balance of how we emphasize. Yeah, and then even along those lines, something that our conversation uh, really taught me is, um, and I think you even said this while we were discussing it, but you were saying that uh, just because something resonates with you doesn't mean it's going to resonate resonate with someone else right and especially with the topic of suffering that's yes, so important so. because just because you have figured out like I, this is probably jumping ahead a little bit but i know a lot of times people like to um people like the verse that all things work together for good for those who love god and that verse makes a lot makes a lot of sense to a lot of different people but if you just go around and every person that you meet that you talk to says oh i'm struggling with this and i'm suffering here if that is your only response it's not going to help many of the people you talk to while they're in the middle of suffering right so there's a way to actually have the conversation and a way to recognize that different people need different things as they're working through whatever is going on that and I'm not saying don't share truth with people when they're in a place of pain. I want to, I want to be right. very, but all those other points of truth that they yeah. may need to hear, not the one you want to share. Yeah. And it's really important that we aren't 
so focused on information that we miss out on all of the emotional pain someone's so going true. through. So true. I know one of my past, uh, one of uh, a local pastor that I know here. He's also one of my professors. Um, he has spent many hours just talking with people that have gone through suffering, just being there when family members have died, sons, daughters have died. And in our classes, he's talked us through what a lot of that process looks like for them. And something he said is that people don't need information. What they actually need is presence a lot of times. Ah, so true. And so being willing to not come up to someone who's suffering and say, here's my definition of suffering. Mm-hmm. You need to come back to God and mm-hmm. just recognize that he's yeah. using this to point him back to it. That's, that's not going to help. Um, it's going complex. if someone's there and you all things work together for good. It's, it's not, it's not going to help. Yeah. There's a time and place to share truth. And w- what we start out by saying is that we think the time and place for that really is before you're going through the suffering mainly. Right. Um, but it, it's just something that you have to be so careful with as you work through your own definition and you try and help other people yeah. um, that you're aware of all of that as you're trying to have those right. discussions. And this point is actually true for really all of the unpacking concepts that most almost yeah. all these unpacking concepts there's multi parts to it mm-hmm. and the way the mind works some minds want to wrap their mind around all of it mm-hmm. other minds find the one or two key points that's the main point for them it, it explains 80% of whatever and then they, they run with it mm-hmm. but what's so fascinating to me is because it is so complex and 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 person a finds these one or two points and that's what they stick with person B those one or two points don't resonate with with them mm-hmm. but another one or two points do sure and so when I'm doing these um, these unpacking studies with rekindling, my goal is, you know, first, what can I take away from this and what are the main points for me? Though I do try to wrap my mind around as much of it as I can, mm-hmm. especially at least in documents. So maybe I haven't memorized all of it, but I have it in my notes and everything. And the reason why is, is I know what, what worked for me, but I want to actually be prepared when I'm sitting with somebody. If that point isn't convincing them or persuading them or resonating with them, I can go to one of the other points. Yeah. And so for those of you who feel called to be some sort of counselor, teachers, leaders, Even shepherds, pastor, yeah. pastors yeah, mm-hmm. in life, I'm going to encourage you, don't just find the parts that resonate with you. Try as best as you can to wrap your mind around all of it mm-hmm. and be prepared to repeat all of it so that when you're sitting with somebody, you can actually, this is why we do like nine different lenses. Mm-hmm. It's why we do different personality tests in the, in the know they stuff is because we're trying to actually be able to reach everybody if we can. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So that is, that's, that's this, this definition. And so it's this recognition that it's some sort of affliction or trauma, right? That causes the, some sort of anguish, um, with some sort of hint of purpose to that, whatever that might be. So now we, we're going to move into the second section, which is getting more into some of the, the, the detail, details and, and nuances and such. And so with here, the first comment that I want to make is we, we want to acknowledge that there's degrees to suffering. Mm-hmm. And so we won't necessarily ref, be referencing it as we go through the rest of the, of the study. We're just going to be talking about suffering. But we definitely want to say we absolutely know there can be minor, you know, suffering and major suffering within all the because there's different categories. We're going to show you two basic big categories with some sub subcategories to the types of suffering or the types of or the causes of suffering. Yeah. Um, but within all of those, there can be degrees. Uh, another point with that is thresholds. And so a number of years ago, I read some article about thresholds, and it was brilliant 
talking about the psychological neuroscience implications of thresholds and how it works in the brain. And I loved it. And for the life of me, I can't remember where I read it or who the author was. And so I've never found it again. And it drives me up a wall because like, I know there's this awesome thing out there that would need to be a part of this and I can't bring it in. Hmm. So hopefully one of these days I can find that article or another good book on, on thresholds. But one of the points that, that we had from that, uh, actually I'm on the wrong page here, um, is it, it breaking some of that stuff down. You, you want to understand the importance of recognizing degrees and, and thresholds, and the more accurate you understand the tribulation, uh, or to what degree, the better shape you'll be able to handle it. And so we talk about, we end up setting up like um, some degrees there. So you have the categories that I came out with was there's negligible slash mild hmm. suffering, maybe like a light sunburn, you know, or something like that. There's minor slash marginal suffering, which would be like a degree higher. There's moderate, kind of in the middle. Um, there is major slash heavy. And then there's severe slash critical. And then it seems that one possibly even either unbearable or consuming. Hmm. I really like that. I like having categories. It helps me wrap my mind around things. Yeah. And so then we talked about threshold, i.e. everybody's threshold is different. And so there might be some level of pain that is negligible for you, but moderate for somebody else. Hmm. That doesn't make you a better person. No, it's just you have a different threshold, right? Um, and so we want to we want to recognize that. So you want to be very careful when you're helping somebody through their pain that you're not assuming that you, they have the same threshold you have. Mm -hmm. That kind of goes into application, but we at least wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, and I think that that relates back to even evil <coughs> and sin because we were talking about like what. Uh, some sins you aren't like going to struggle muddy with. Fields, yeah, yeah, with muddy fields. Uh, some muddy fields you're not going to have a problem with and some that you are. And so not wanting to compare those. That also just reminded me of a phrase that I've heard many times uh, that God's, God won't give you more than you can handle. And so I think that that really relates to this idea of thresholds. We're actually going to talk about that a little bit later, but want to acknowledge that that is something that both of us have heard at mm -hmm. different times. Uh, yeah, we wanted to address it, but we're going to wait to the application. We are, uh, but we at least want, we want to we we recognize yeah. it. So if you want to hear our thoughts on that, you're going to have to listen through to the end. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So now here we are in in section two with these these details and nuances. This is a really this is like one of the critical points of the whole study mm -hmm. that we were to wrap our mind around. Um, and so we want you to listen here and hopefully take some notes on this. So what we did was we and, and this is through the scripture and just seeing the patterns and all that. We realized that we needed to break suffering up by its type and by type what we well, actually the more accurate thing is by its source mm -hmm. that's the first way that we're going to break it up and so they're really to, to kind of summarize it there's two sources of suffering there's god initiated suffering and others initiated suffering and within the others initiated suffering we broke it down into three uh, more actually even i think about it we could put four here or even five but what we have is demon initiated suffering man initiated suffering and self initiated suffering we could also probably throw in like animal slash nature sure initiated suffering it's going to follow the same patterns as, as each of these mm -hmm. um, and then if you hold to that randomality exists in life you could put that as a category as well Anyway, so so we're gonna we're gonna walk you through each of these, and so what we're gonna start first with is the God-initiated suffering, and the idea here is not like why did God allow it? God didn't allow it; He caused it. Hmm. Like He brought this. 
suffering. Um, in this category. In this category. He brought it, he initiated it, he orchestrated it, he caused it, whatever word you want to say there. And, and, and maybe I didn't want to acknowledge that, but there was the this, this sheer volume of passages that talk about the, the suffering that God brings about. So we, ha- we had to... Um, we had to acknowledge it, right? We, we, we got to be honest in these unpacking. So, you know, let the Bible paint the picture it wants to paint. Yeah. But here's some really, really cool, encouraging things. So on the surface, you're like, wait, wait, wait. I mean, God will absolutely, like, takes credit that he, he brought about suffering. Yeah. But listen to this. You really need to get into the details. This makes a lot more sense. And right before we get into that, there is a difference between uh, God initiating suffering and God initiating evil. And so we do want to say, like, because God's not going to tempt you. And so right. there's a difference between... Um, God initiating suffering, God initiating temptation and evil. I.e. that God does not initiate evil. Yes. Right. Yeah. So that I just wanted to make sure that we do say that, that yeah. there is a difference between those two things. And so we do recognize that one of these categories <coughs> is that God initiates suffering because we see that in scripture in some different places that we're going to show you later. But uh, we, I, I did want to quick mention that we're not saying that God initiates evil and temptation. Right. That's good. So one of the cool things right up front, um, kind of two sub points to this so so what we're describing now is god initiated suffering we put in some in our notes here you could also call this heavenly suffering or you could also call this good suffering Mm -hmm. good meaning beneficial yeah and knowing that going back to sweet and sours it's sour yeah so there seems to be some sort of god initiated heavenly sour good suffering Mm -hmm. One point that we want to make on this, and this this came from Lamentations and, and a couple other verses, God does this not willingly, hmm. and he does it not forever. So what's what I like about that is, yes, there is suffering that God causes or initiates. He doesn't do it willingly, and he'll only do it here in the prologue, not in the eternal story of heaven. I take a lot of comfort in that. Mm-hmm. Another thing that we saw, which at first you're like, what, is that it, it seems that it's actually a sign of his goodwill toward us, that at times he brings about suffering for different good purposes. And at first I'm like, well, that's kind of weird that like, it, wait, him bringing suffering is a sign of his goodwill towards us. I kind of would push back on that until we broke it down and we, we got into all these different reasons and it made a lot more sense afterwards. Mm-hmm. Another thing here is God may do this directly through some sort of divine, miraculous type way, or he could do it through his agents. So he could cause this through an angel or human or nature or whatever. Mm -hmm. So getting into that. One quick question actually for you, uh, putting you on the spot. When it says that God doesn't do this willingly, what does that mean? Is that saying like that God doesn't enjoy doing this or? Yeah. uh, Yeah. You could also say he does it reluctantly. Okay. Would yeah, because I think that it could just um, cause some pushback with, like, what do you mean by not willingly? Oh, like he was forced to or yeah. something? Yeah, no, no, yeah. no. Yeah, he, he does it not willingly, not excitedly. He does it reluctantly. This was in Lamentations 1 or 3. It was really cool. Yeah. So what we did was we went through all the different passages that we could find on God-initiated suffering, and we tried to look for patterns, and we found them. And so what we found was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. We found seven different reasons God may bring about some sort of suffering. And again, suffering is any kind of difficulty, damage, loss, or lack, right? Mm-hmm. And and so what we did was we, we identified seven different um, reasons. And, and, and what we have here is 
seven different things that that either were going on or or was trying to be accomplished and so god initiates this type of suffering and um before that Mm -hmm. and then we're going to discuss to you therefore given that type of suffering this is what your response should be so we're kind of jumping ahead a bit to application but it made sense to kind of lay it all out Mm -hmm. so the first um, first example or first reason or first purpose of god initiated suffering you or me or we or someone is in some sort of stubborn rebelling. Hmm. And, 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 and let me emphasize this. You made a point um, in the last episode, Zach, on, on evil, where you talked about keeping in mind that anger is never God's first response hmm. to things. Yeah. It's usually a much more delayed, only when needed response. And there's a whole lot to that. You can go back and listen to the episode. Mm-hmm. But the idea here, too, is it's not that the very instant you rebel, he's going to throw some kind of suffering your way. Yeah. Or make you stub your toe, or, or make, yeah. And, and, and what we call this, by the way, is a yoke of a, a yoke of warning. Mm-hmm. So w- when we say stubborn rebelling, what we're talking about is a consistent, repeated, over time, stubborn, hard headed rebelling. Mm-hmm. So the idea here is, at first, if you're turning away from God, it's not going to instantly go through suffering. This because He's going to try other ways, whispering to you, the Spirit convicting you, encouraging you, just getting your attention, etc. <clears throat> but if you don't listen, if you don't come back, this this would be uh, the book of Judges, for example. Hmm. If you if you keep just rebelling, over time he knows, given the sheer volume and stubbornness and hard headedness and thick skinnedness of your rebelling, he now has to go ahead and bring about some kind of suffering to get your attention. Mm-hmm. And that's why we call it a yoke of warning. It's like the yoke on the on the ox, right? So it's a, some sort of heavy burden. So, so there, there will be times that God puts some sort of yoke of warning, some sort of heavy burning uh, burden that's going to come across as some sort of suffering, hmm. and he's going to put it on you. He's going to initiate it. He's going to orchestrate it, again, reluctantly, but he needs to, because you're so stubborn and you're rebelling. And, 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 and hear me on this, because we're going to list out seven. This goes back to the point we are mentioning earlier. You're going to hear Christians say, anytime you experience suffering, it's because you're sinning or rebelling. Hmm. No, you can't, you can't make a blanket statement like that. Because we, <coughs> we found seven different reasons that God initiates suffering. Then we found hundreds of different reasons that other people initiate suffering. So there's a, <coughs> a pure plethora of reasons why suffering may occur. So if someone comes along and tells you, that this is why. Uh, no, maybe, maybe they're right, but maybe they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is where discernment comes in, right? So if it turns out, and, and this is where, so one of the things we'd say is when you're experiencing, I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I'm going to say this now. When you're experiencing some kind of suffering, the first thing you should do is try as best as you can to figure out the cause of it. So was it, is this a God-initiated suffering or is this a, a, an others-initiated suffering? Because depending on what it is, changes your response. Mm-hmm. So like step one would be, uh, well, step one would be to try to, well, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But one of the early steps is figure out what, what type of suffering this is. And so so if it's a God-initiated suffering, then the second thing is which type of God-initiated suffering is it? And so if it's this yoke of warning because of your stubborn rebelling, you know the answer. And the answer is you need to be hum- humbly confessing and acknowledging your rebellion, your sin, your turning away from him, and then turn back to that patient God because that's where all the benefit is. Anyways, and this goes back to the sin thing. So, so, so the summary of all that is 
Sometimes, because of a consistent, constant, stubborn rebelling, God is going to put some heavy, burdened yoke of warning on you, which is a type of suffering, Mm -hmm. to get your attention. If that's the case, have your attention be got (laughs) and acknowledge that you've been rebelling Mm -hmm. and turn back to him. Yeah. And so secondly, uh, our corrupted nature can actually bring about God-initiated suffering. And so in Scripture, we see this described as a purifying fire. And so what are we supposed to do when that's going on? What we need to do is endure in the midst of that and then rejoice at the results because it's actually going to re- result in beneficial things for us. And and, what, and, and if you ask what, what's the difference between those two, the stubborn rebelling one is is focused on you you intentionally in the moment or you know over time rebelling Mm -hmm. where this corrupted nature is more of just a general thing and so this would be the idea of like let's say you have some sort of um you know you're you're hiking the appalachian trail uh which my dad and my brother and i did thanks dad for that suggestion (laughs) um i say that sincerely and insincerely um anyways but (laughs) but we had to purify our water right and so the water was was contaminated, you know, with dirt and da da da. Mm-hmm. So you boil it. We had these UV ray devices that we use, and we purified it. It's just because that's what was needed. Mm-hmm. So like, were we mad at the water? Was the water trying to rebel against us? No, etc. So this goes back to the evil sense that, that we're all made of dust, and it's part of the plan and yeah. all that. But because we're made of dust, and we ha- we have that dirtiness to us, we have goodness in us as well. But we have the dirtiness to us. Sometimes God's going to bring about this purifying fire, hmm. um, simply to help kind of clean those contaminated elements of who you are out of you. It's not a punishment. He's not mad at you. He's just tur- he's just putting a fire under you to purify you. Yeah, yeah. Then and then kind of similarly, a lot of these kind of overlap a little bit. There's this idea the the uh, a suffering that proves a proving of character or a testing of faith or quality. And so this would be the idea that that um, you, you can't test in a vacuum. Hmm. So for example, if I want to learn patience, what do I have to have happen to me? Things that will make you need things patience. that will make me impatient. Yeah, initially, mm-hmm. so that I can learn patience. You know, some, some bad thing. And so there'll be times when, when, and um, and actually we can kind of combine these next two. Yeah, that relates. Very this proving to the of character, or mm-hmm. we're ready for growth. So, so, so it's some kind of training discipline. And so the the the, the slight difference between those two, the 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 we're, you're ready for growth, and so God puts you through some sort of. This is the wind sprint analogy. Mm-hmm. And so the wind sprints are a suffering, right? Because you're doing these wind sprints. But the suffering, it's not any kind of punishment. God's not mad at all. He's just trying to build your lung capacity. So there's times when you're going to experience suffering, but the suffering is just a wind sprint of life. It's just a training element to build your lung capacity to make you stronger so that you can go through it all. So if that's the okay, if that's the case, all you need to do is obey hmm. and just do whatever that training or, or that, that type of suffering is, transform and grow and mature and, and rejoice at the results. That that the first one I was talking about this testing of faith or quality, there it's maybe like I probably should have flipped the order there. So he 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 puts you through some sort of wind sprints, um, to to build your lung capacity, and then he has you run a marathon to show you that you now have the lung capacity to do it. Hmm. And so the marathon is a, is, a, is, a, is a form of suffering as far as it creates the burn and, yeah. and there's some trauma, right? Mm-hmm. There's a loss of energy, et cetera. So this is where discernment really, really comes in here that you would need to, to, to determine what type of suffering is this and then respond accordingly. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, there's also sometimes God initiates suffering because there's a potential for other benefit. And so an opportunity for other good. And so if we're in that type of situation, then what we need to do is we need to comfort. We need to forgive, show patience, pursue justice. And this really relates back to when we were talking about why does evil and sin even exist in a lot of different ways? Because there's some good that can only come through that. Absolutely. Um, Because we even see passages that talk about they'll know we are Christians by love. Well, how can they know that we love them? Uh, because it's really easy to love those who are nice to you. If no one's wronging you in any way, how can you actually show them that you love them when they're not just being nice? Because uh, that's a very shallow form of love. And so sometimes God can give, just that as an example, um, God can give us different types of suffering, and so then we can have those other benefits. So this this is a time of no pain, no gain. Hmm. So another example here would be like, you know how we're supposed to give financially? And it seems that we're supposed to give somewhat sacrificially mm-hmm. and joyfully. And so God may call you to give a little more than you want to give of, of your this month's funds to somebody else. And so really that is a form of suffering because you're losing that money. Yeah. But it brings about another good because it, it shows your generosity and it helps that individual that needs it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're making sacrifices for others. And then I'm going to group these last two as, as well together. Mm-hmm. So these last two, another another possible reasoning is is unrepentant wickedness, and so like where the stubborn rebelling, the idea is that God knows in His wisdom and and foreknowledge that well, like you'll come back. Um, there's times where in His foreknowledge He knows that it's not going to come back. It's going to be an unrepentant wickedness, and so this is this is the form of destructive wrath and and judgment. Um, and it's leaving the vengeance to him mm-hmm. in this. And so sometimes he'll bring about suffering or affliction or whatever, uh, trial, tribulation, et cetera, like destructively so, where he's wiping out a person uh, or a people group because he knows in his foreknowledge that all of them are unrepentant and they're not going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with that, the last one we talked about is punishment. And we put a, we put a line through this one because, and so we're going to do an unpacking on, on punishment and, and judgment later. I don't know exactly where you are on it. I know that I'm leaning more and more to that. That punishment is actually not part of the plan. Yeah. I'm leaning that way too. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not fully there. I don't think you're fully there, but we're both moving in that direction because it it just makes a lot of sense. It just makes a lot of sense given a lot of these passages that we've been reading. And so, so we put a line through it because it seems that, um, God is never going to use suffering as a punishment, at least for believers Mm -hmm. still up in the air as far as unbelievers. I, I don't know where to go with that. Uh, but so so we mentioned that. So even as, as we're talking this out, we could probably regroup these. This seems a little bit cluttered. This was that summary sheet that I typed up. Mm-hmm. So what we might say is, uh, am I supposed to memorize seven? No, we could probably group them. So for example, the purifying fire, the training discipline, and the testing of faith. I might actually group those. And you, maybe and you tell me what, how, how you might group them, but I might group those three together. Where all three of those, it's the idea of this kind of, you know, like you doing wind sprints to make you stronger. And so there is some sort of physical or emotional suffering through that, but it, but it's making you stronger. Mm-hmm. So this, we, we call this, this, what kind of suffering would this be? Some sort of training suffering or development suffering. Yeah. So that, that might be one category. Then I would put the um, potential other benefit as far as an opportunity for good. I put it in its own one as far as it's good for another. So that first one is good for you. Is good for you. So there could be some sort of development or training suffering that it's some sort of affliction, trauma, distress, damage, loss, whatever, so that you may grow stronger. 
then I would put a sacrificial suffering where God is asking you to pay some price for the benefit of another, mm-hmm. like, like the giving would be an example of that, um, or even like somebody laying their life down for another, right? The, the person who dies experiences suffering, but it was so that another might be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be a second category. And then a third category would be the warning suffering, um, which would be like you rebelling and so him putting some sort of yoke, burden, burdensome yoke on you to get your attention. Um, or like, or it could also be you're headed down a, you're about to go to a bad path and God was trying to like quietly warn you and that wasn't going. And so he put some sort of loud warning, which Mm -hmm. comes out as some kind of suffering as like a wake up call to not continue on that path. So we would have, um, self-improvement or discipline training suffering. We would have sacrificial suffering for the benefit of another. We would have some kind of warning suffering. And then that fourth category would be that real, that real nasty, tough one as far as the destructive suffering, Mm. which is God wiping out some sort of unrepentant sin. Yeah. I like that's probably how I'd break the four down the four. As you were talking through that, I started trying to group them together, and I had two groups, and then you explained you, how you broke them up, and that broke up my two groups into basically the four that you were having. Because um, I originally just had uh, like the proving of character and the training and the benefit for others loop grouped together, uh-huh. and then also, so like that's um, more of that sour type suffering. And so mm-hmm. uh, it's going to result in a beneficial good mm-hmm. for you or others, or really both. If you're benefiting another person, it sure there is some sort of benefit for you. And then that rebellion, corruption, and wickedness into another category. Um, but I do appreciate how adding even more nuance and breaking that up even more is I think valuable. Yeah. So, so what we encourage you, you, the listener to do, especially if you're taking notes is use your own words there, which is why a lot of times I use a whole bunch of words and slashes Mm -hmm. because I'm trying to be able to to give you a number of different suggestions that you can find the one you want to use. So, so we might recommend is go ahead and writing down that there's four types of God initiated suffering, some sort of self-improvement, character building suffering, mm-hmm. some sort of sacrificial suffering for the benefit of another, some sort of uh, warning suffering, and then some sort of destructive suffering. And maybe warning or training suffering. Cause I know that like, we don't think that punishment is part of things. Well, but- I'd, I'd put the training with the self-improvement. Okay. Yeah. Um, where, where, and, and what's the difference between the two? Because they're both kind of training. Mm-hmm. The first one, you're actually in a good place. Okay. So you're not rebelling. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're, you're right on track with where God wants you to. And you so just he's just taking you to the next level, mm-hmm. but he's got to do it through suffering where that that second one is you're not in a good place because you're rebelling. And so he's trying to call you back okay. and warn you back. Where and then and then the, the other potential suffering one is you're also in a good place when, when, for the benefit of another. Mm-hmm. You're also in a good place, and so he knows he can count on you. He's, he he can have you make a sacrifice and go through some kind of suffering for the benefit of another. So so right there. So if you look at the, that fourth one, is that destructive suffering, which for the most part is not going to happen to a believer. Maybe Ananias and Sapphira with another whole you know point. But so so looking at for the believer. It seems that there's probably three types of suffering. Two of them, you're actually in a good place. 
and you're actually lining up well with God and you're strong in your walk and that's why he's bringing about the suffering. So you're not actually doing anything wrong. You're just actually ready for the next level. It just takes some suffering to get there hmm. where only that third one is actually you're in the wrong place. So that's remarkable to me even as we talk that out that so much of what we want to say is well, if you're experiencing, this is what happened with Job and his friends, mm-hmm. if you're experiencing some sort of suffering it's because you're doing something wrong. Maybe, <laughs> but it seems it's only one of like three options. You know? And that really even goes completely contrary to the view that I think a lot of us, at least subconsciously, but sometimes even we verbalize this, that we think that as we spiritually mature, we should actually be able to avoid suffering. And there's Ooh. other religions that teach that. Like you can reach a point where you just eliminate suffering. Yeah. Our uh, faith says, nope. Yeah, which <laughs> is, not, worse. is yeah. not what is going on here. So, so with that then, so we have some notes here. So I, I like that. That's good. I would say go with those four mm-hmm. instead of the seven. Um, so how does, how does God initiating suffering work or why? So keeping these four concepts yeah. in mind, we're just going to kind of read through some bullet points that we have here for you from the study. So our faith and hope in God brings about peace and joy and understanding, including what God initiated suffering is achieving. Yeah. There's a wisdom there. Um, and so if we choose to patiently persevere through and endure God-initiated suffering, because now we're realizing there's a good purpose to it, um, it gives... Oh, sorry, go ahead. It does a couple different things. Yeah. So one of the first things that it does is it gives God weight. <coughs> That's uh, uh, heaviness, the glory we talked about a couple episodes ago. Uh, a lot of episodes if you break apart evil and sin and all the different ones. Yeah. Regardless, uh, God's given glory. Uh and so it manifests Jesus in our mortal flesh that we may have fellowship in his suffering and be conformed to his death. And so we really begin to intimately know him and understand his love for the world because we're experiencing a piece of the suffering he had. Uh, and so it also shows how God is pursuing a free will, uh, often evil world, and he's seeking to redeem and reconcile them. Another thing that it does is it brings about our eventual glorification, Mm. which we referenced earlier, which is, again, we're becoming more resplendently heavy uh, by going through this. And so it proves our character, resulting in more hope. It sets us free from the slavery of corruption. Mm. So so that's an interesting thing there with that purifying fire. Right now, in our weakness, we're very susceptible to corruption. So we need to be purified to get stronger, but that has to be done at times anyways through suffering. Mm-hmm. So again, there, there's a good purpose there. It also humbles us in our, in our weakness, uh, leading us to lean on God's strength rather than our own. I'm, I'm going through that battle right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, that's just so hard to do practically on a day-to-day basis, actually consistently relying on God. Uh, a third thing that this does is it really opens up opportunities for other good things to occur. And we've talked about this already, but uh, it can allow the gospel to be shared first and foremost, uh, just sharing with other people the good news mm-hmm. of Christ. Uh, and then believers can share together in suffering and comfort. So that idea of community and all of that. And then also we can actually demonstrate grace, mercy, forgiveness, patience, love uh, to a watching world and right. really see, show them that our response to suffering is different and that can really lead back to the first one, sharing the gospel. Yeah. So given all this, you know, given that, that when God initiates suffering, he does it reluctantly, and he does it only here in this temporary prologue that we're in, and he does it one of, one of her three basic reasons, and for us believers, it's one of three basic reasons, mm-hmm. uh, either trying to warn us or he's trying to develop and strengthen us or he's asking us to make a sacrifice for another. 
Um, given all that, what should our response to God-initiated suffering be? So we talked about how when you're when you're experiencing some kind of suffering, one of the first things you need to do is to figure out what's the source of this. Yeah. And so if you've determined that this is God-initiated suffering, uh, what what should you do? Yeah. And so one of the first steps is you need to humbly choose. Uh, that you're and just decide humbly that you're going to endure and persevere through this trial or affliction. And so really this goes back to the idea of trusting God and having faith because you don't want to put him on trial. Uh, there is a reason that he's doing, I want to put him on trial and it's so easy, (laughs) but I can't, it's so easy to say, uh, no, I, you need to explain right now why all this was. And we actually see his response to Job when Job is asking a lot of those questions, where were you when I created the world? Mm. And, uh, God really puts Job back on trial. And so just keep that in mind and just really trust God through that process. Another thing that you want to do is you want to pray. You want to let God comfort, encourage you, bring you emotional and mental relief. You want to let him strengthen you and help you. Yeah, and then if you're suffering as a result of you wandering away and rebelling in the moment, you need to be humbled uh, with godly sorrow and repent. And so what repentance really includes is changing your thinking and your behavior. And we talked a lot more about how to respond to sin back uh, actually in the previous episode in uh, 3.11 E-F. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing is you want to be thinking rightly, like, you know, understanding well, seeing clearly, using discernment. Paul has, I can't remember where the passage is now, if it's in Romans or one of the Corinthians, but it's this cool passage how we're like, we're afflicted but not crushed. Hmm. And so I went through this little, uh, I went through that phrase and was looking up each of the, each of the Greeks phrases here. And it's a cool thing. So you, so as you're going through this God initiated suffering, you need to remind yourself that you are afflicted, yes, but you're not crushed. Hmm. You're not restricted or confined with no hope of escape. Um, that you are going to be perplexed at times. When you're going to be a little bit confused. You're not always going to understand everything. But you're not despairing. You're not hmm. falling apart. That you need to recognize that, yes, you are being persecuted to some extent, but you're not being forsaken or abandoned. Yeah. You need to recognize that you are being struck down in the moment, but you're not being destroyed or irreparably damaged. Yeah, and that actually is in 2 Corinthians 4 and begins in verse 8 if you want to go back and look at all that. Also, we need to not lose heart uh, because for a couple of these sufferings that we just talked about, you actually are living well according Mm -hmm. to the truth of God, and you are well known by him, and this is not punishment. This is something uh, that we were just talking about you and I are both leaning much toward uh, leaning towards because punishment is that idea that since you did something wrong, something wrong has to be done to you. Right. Um, Which doesn't seem to be, it, it just really doesn't seem to be a part of God's vocabulary or philosophy. And so as we go through this, just keeping that in mind. So keep that in mind that, that if, if you as a believer are going through some sort of God initiated suffering, it's either a training sacrifice or warning. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Uh, another thing, be content. And again, difficult. We understand yeah. that. But be content. In fact, overflow with joy in what the perseverance is producing. So you don't have to necessarily take joy in the suffering itself, sure. but what the suffering is, is bringing about. So you're better understanding Christ and his enduring affliction for the sake of the world so that you also can partake of suffering for the good of others. Being humble in your weakness, relying on God's strength, Letting it purify you of your corruption and sinful tendencies, knowing that you're making many rich in hope and you're possessing much through this, knowing that this presents you as a worthy servant and good soldier of Christ with some sort of coming eternal reward and glory for that. 
Yeah, and then also, you can find refuge and hope. You can eagerly await the eventual redemption and deliverance and salvation that's coming. You want to continue to obey God in the details. So suffering is not an excuse to cut corners in scriptural application. I know I do that. So like I finally come to grips with, okay, this is a God-initiated suffering. I have to accept it. I'll kind of run with it. But you know what? I'm going to, because I'm going through that, I don't have to obey this rule. Hmm. I can't think that way. Yeah. So that's even as simple as saying, I can't, uh, trying to give yourself the ability to complain despite it. it, And you can't, can't do that. Um, also, if the affliction is one of poverty or loss, you actually need to give out of your poverty with great joy and count all as loss, uh, all loss as rubbish in comparison with knowing your Lord more intimately. And that's really what we see Paul's attitude being. And then another thing is, as you're going through this God-initiated suffering, you need to make sure that you're still doing good to others, mm-hmm. including your persecutors. <laughs> Uh, and, and so that's hard. <laughs> do not be irritated or take their wrongdoing into account. You need to turn the other cheek and forgive, uh, on your end, be at peace with them. Bless, which means speak well of, and do not curse them, strongly dislike or, or speak ill of be beneficial toward them, contributing to their well being, not detrimental. You can do no evil to them in turn, comfort them in their sorrow so that they don't suffer too much. Yeah. And then lastly, it is so important to do all of this in community. And so suffering alongside others, just sharing in that suffering, sharing in endurance and comfort, that really is the idea of presence that I was even alluding to a little bit earlier. So that's a lot, right? But that's all with the God-initiated suffering. And so hopefully, again, you find that encouraging, if if convicting. So then we can look at the others-initiated suffering. And so with this one, you know, and, and, we, and we split that up into um, demon-initiated suffering, man or others-initiated suffering, and self-initiated suffering, potentially with animal-initiated or nature-initiated or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so for here, where the God-initiated suffering can be known as heavenly suffering or good suffering, this others-initiated suffering can be known as earthly suffering or bad suffering. And where when it comes to the God-initiated suffering, he does it reluctantly. Mm-hmm. When it comes to others-initiated suffering, God is actually distressed by this type of oppression. Mm-hmm. He does not want this type of oppression to occur. He, he doesn't support it. Um, he, he doesn't cause it. Right, he hasn't orchestrated it. This has all been initiated by someone else, some other demon or mm-hmm. human or you or an animal or whatever. So if I tell you that with the God-initiated suffering, he does it reluctantly and only in this prologue, you might ask me, well, if he does it reluctantly, why do it at all? Well, we've answered that mm-hmm. because he's trying to warn you away from some further rebellion or detriment, or he's trying to give you wind sprints to build your lung capacity to make you stronger, or he's asking you to make a sacrifice for the benefit of another, or it's actually destroying a person because they're going to cause too much trouble. It's, 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 it's an infringing upon one of his core parts of his plan or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. So if I sit here and I tell you that when it comes to others initiated suffering, he doesn't like it at all. It actually distresses him when he sees it. What might be your next question? Why is this even a thing then? Like, right. why does he allow it? Why, yeah, if, if you don't like it, why allow it? Because mm-hmm. we can see like with, with the, the suffering that you initiate, we can see that you do it reluctantly. Sure. Um, but you do it because of these good reasons. Mm-hmm. And so if this stuff, there's not even a good reason for it necessarily, and, you, and it distresses you, why not do it? The short answer is because of 
limit, irrevocable, limited, significant free will and moral responsibility and the conditional beneficial goods. So this all goes back to uh, 3.11c mm-hmm. in the evil sin. And so we're not going to go through the whole explanation here again. We encourage you to actually go back and listen to that one. And so we walk through step by step. What is it about irrevocable, limited, significant free will? And what is it about moral responsibility? And what is it about um, these certain beneficial goods that can only occur in the presence of evil? And what is it about all the atoning work that he was going to do on the cross anyways? When you can, when you consider all of those things, you realize that God, you know, it goes back to that, that phrase, given the story that God wanted to tell sin was necessary. Mm -hmm. And so you can actually add to that suffering that given the full story that God wanted to tell sin and suffering was necessary. Um, but given the, the irrevocable, limited, significant free will, and given the moral responsibility and all these other ones, God chose when I, I could say God had to allow it. Not because somebody imposed somebody higher than him imposed it upon him. God made the decision mm-hmm. to allow it, given the prologue. And so this goes back to you have to remembering that we're in the in this temporary broken beta prologue, and there's the future eternal story that hasn't started yet. And in the future eternal so- story, there will be no God initiated suffering because there's no need for it, mm-hmm. and there'll be no an others initiated suffering because nobody's being sinful, right? Yeah. Um, but given the prologue, it's a part of it, right? So, th- so that's why he's allowed it. Uh, so, so we're going to go through uh, a couple points. Um, we have a number of things we're going to discuss here, but for, first we're just going to do some rapid fire bullet points here, um, of, of, of each of these sub points. So when it comes to demon initiated suffering, these are fallen angels that have free will and they choose to persecute us. And this is due really to their own wickedness. They malevolently choose to afflict and oppress you in some way because they hate you. And, I'm looking at my notes here. It was their own that was preventable. God didn't want it to happen, but He wouldn't revoke their free will. Um, and it may be usable. God did not orchestrate it, but now that it happened, He may be able to use it for one of His own good divine purposes. Mm-hmm. And so with this, you can really see some of our perspective of where we're coming from with inner determinism and all these different things, which is why we keep encouraging you guys to go back and hear this full case that we're trying to present that makes the most sense to both of us. Yeah. So with that as just a little side note, uh, also there's man or others initiated suffering. And so this is uh, others causing suffering to you. And this could be due to really two things, their own wickedness also. Uh, So they malevolently choose to afflict or oppress you in some way. And so it could have been been prevented. Uh, God didn't want it to happen, Mm -hmm. but he's not going to revoke their free will. And he might also be able to use their own wickedness, even though he didn't orchestrate it. Now that it's happened, he might be able to use it uh, for one of his good divine purposes. Or... It could be out of their lack of diligence or preparedness. So it could be uh, wickedness. It could be that they were doing it on purpose. Uh, They knew what they were doing as they were doing it. But it also could just be a lack of diligence or preparedness. And so they weren't careful. They weren't wise. Um, There's uh, no good shepherd helping them out, that sort of thing. This also is preventable, uh, but God didn't want to revoke their free will. And God can also use it even though he didn't orchestrate it for one of his good divine purposes. 
And so then that, that third type of others initiated or earthly suffering is self initiated suffering. Mm-hmm. And we don't always like to admit this because we want to kind of, you know, shift the blame onto somebody else. But sometimes you caused your suffering, right? And we, and we need to be honest with that. I got a buddy of mine, Young, always talks about if you're in the desert, you need to figure out whether God put you in there or you put you in there. Mm-hmm. And if God put you in there, figure out the reason why, learn it, and then get out. Um, if you put you in there, you need to either undo what you did um, to get back out of there or just push through it all, you know, and, and get back out. But it's the same, same kind of concept as here. But anyways, very similarly to the to the man or others initiated suffering, this is some suffering that's caused by you. And that could be due to your own wickedness. So you chose to do something outside of God's parameters and it resulted in problems. And yeah, it was preventable. God didn't want it to happen, but he won't revoke your free will. And maybe hopefully it's usable that he didn't orchestrate it, but now that it happen he'll be able to use it for his own good divine purposes uh, so so that's we just kind of a couple points there and it could also be if you're not being proactive or careful oh or, yes or right yeah your own lack of diligence yeah. or yeah so it could be you turning away from god and uh away from his good and be- beneficial things to something else the definition of sin we have or it could just be uh you weren't careful and wise and prudent yeah whatever. thank you thank you for that mm-hmm. um so then another point and, and we actually kind of touched this a little bit is motive or intent so it's another point, kind of like with degrees and threshold. We want to recognize when it comes to others initiated suffering, demons, you, others, animals, whatever. Um, there's there's potentially different intents from the person. And a lot of times we want to maximize and make it the worst intent possible. But we really want to be honest and recognize what they are. And some may say, Shannon, why are we going into such detail, such nuances? I just feel better if we try to to wrap our mind around it comprehensively as we can some concept because you're just going to get more accuracy with that. Yeah. So that's why that's why we're discussing this point here. Mm-hmm. So it may be that they were malevolent. Yeah. It may be that they out and out wanted to cause you harm. Uh, the scriptures talks about you know, um, that being a faint heart or dim eyes. This is that evil, detrimental, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It could be that they weren't malevolent. They weren't like like wanting to, to bring you injury or harm. It was just out of selfishness or pride. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like this either me or you mentality. So there's only um, you know one glass of water left there in, in, in the desert. Um, he, he, he may not want to wish you harm, but he's like, listen, if it's between me and you, I'm going me, mm-hmm. right? And then, or it could be, so I kind of started with the most extreme and I'm working my way down. It could be carelessness. So it wasn't out of any sort of malevolent intent. It wasn't sort of any selfishness or pride. They're just being careless. They, they weren't showing wisdom or diligence or caution. And that's why the suffering happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be the failure of others. So it could be that like whatever the person was doing malevolently, selfishly, carelessly, whatever, others were supposed to actually step in and intervene. And they didn't. Hmm. And so there was no good shepherd in the moment or no just warrior. There was a couple passages that, that, that talked about that. Uh, or it could be possibly randomality or chance uh, in, in life or nature, and it just kind of happened on its own. That goes back to a theology of whether you hold to randomality mm-hmm. or not. So, so I at least wanted to touch on that. So with this in mind, you know, we, we walked you through the different types of God-initiated suffering and how you should respond. So then, And then now we're talking about this others-initiated category that God doesn't even like. He doesn't like that kind of oppression. He wants us to step in more and stop it. Um, and, and different intents as to why that might happen, etc. There are a number of different responses that you might be able to, to do. So we're going to go through them now. It wouldn't; these won't necessarily be that you do all these at one time, mm-hmm. but probably also you won't do just one. 
So as we go through this list, be taking those notes down. And so the idea like, you know, with, with like, so, when, you know, so you're going through some kind of suffering and you figure out it's, it's a God initiated suffering, then figure out which of those three types that it is. Cause it, cause if it's the fourth one and you're destroyed, <laughs> nothing you can do about that. No. <laughs> but if it's one of those other three, then you respond accordingly. If, as you're going through some kind of suffering, you realize it's not God-initiated suffering, it's actually others-initiated suffering, you do want to pay attention to who caused it. You do want to pay attention to um, what the intent was, you know, if you can figure that out. Don't just, like, assume it. Yeah, don't just guess. Um, But then given that, here's some practical responses that you can take during that others-initiated suffering. Yeah, and so I think the first one is that you really need to recognize the degree and the threshold. And so you have um, an understanding of uh, where they were coming from and uh, how how much it's actually impacting you and if you're going to be able to work through that. Uh, Another thing is, and we're going to highlight this more in the application, Mm -hmm. but you want to grieve it. It's a very important thing to actually grieve the suffering that was happening to you. God grieves that it's happening to you. You need to grieve that it's happening to you. But make sure that in your grief, it's not moving into fear or worry or despair or resentment or complaining. It's very easy to move from grieving to one of those, and you want to keep those off the table. And as you grieve, you also want to be trusting God because, again, you don't want to put him on trial. You want to make sure that you're always obeying him because it can be really easy, again, to move uh, right down the line from grief to just blaming God and putting him on trial. You want to make sure that you're not losing heart and that you're thinking rightly and contently. And this goes back to some of those phrases that we were talking about earlier as far as uh, living well according to the truth, knowing God, knowing that you're afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down, but you're not restrained, falling apart, abandoned, or destroyed. You also want to pray and call on God for possible deliverance or healing. Um, this, then going back to flight, fight, persevere, sometimes the answer may be to flee and escape the suffering. Or the answer could be to fight, pursue justice, that making of things right, uh, or uh, have compassion and kindness, protect. Or it could be to persevere, that you need to endure, be willing to make sacrifices, hold on to that precious hope as you go through it all. Mm-hmm. Or, or a response might be to comfort and heal, uh, be a balm to, and just really this idea of community suffering together. So that would be like if, if, if there's several of you going through some kind of suffering, you be that balm or that comfort for the rest of the group, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then also, depending on, on what kind of wrong it is, you need to be forgiving the wrongdoer. Uh, and we're going to go more into this in the application. But remembering no wrongs, cursing not, taking no revenge, and instead doing good. Yeah, and one other one that uh, we have penciled it on this list is something that I've really, this, this is a theory that I have and something that I've been learning through Scripture and seeing a lot of um, tendencies towards. And I'm not, I want to preface this, I'm not 100% sure that this is right, but uh, recognizing that the sin is actually against God. And so we see this. One of the main places that I see this is Psalm 51, where David says, against you and you alone have I sinned, after talking about his adultery with Bathsheba. And so just that can be really helpful. And so I wanted to throw that out to you, if that might help you, that um, recognizing that the sin is primarily against God, and it's not primarily an action against you, and just recognizing that and helping uh, you work through forgiveness with that whole idea. So, so there's some, some details with, with that. So the big takeaway here 
is to remember that there's God-initiated suffering and maybe one of four different reasons why, and then there's us, others-initiated suffering, which could have all kinds of different reasons and intent, uh, and there's a number of different responses that, that you can make to that. We, we had a, a chart that we used, so it's almost like, like I actually have, I, I'm going to redo this chart now. I'm going to put it back into those four categories there, sure. but I'm going to have that chart so that when I'm going through suffering or somebody else is going through suffering and I'm coming alongside them, we can actually look at that chart uh, and, and, and try to piece it out. And this is one of those things where, you know, most of us Christians, we just try to wing it hmm. and try to guess yeah. <laughs> what's going on. And, and this is why I like these unpacking studies. This is why I like this approach to Christian living is you actually create this little chart and, and the chart's flexible. The chart mm-hmm. leaves it open to other. Yeah. Um, but, but having some sort of thing to kind of go through to give you some sort of idea because it can go a really long way because it will change your response yeah. right, to, the, to the sin. So those are some of the details. So now what we're going to do is we're going to go through some more of the verses. Now, a couple things on this. Um, one is normally like we'll, we'll make reference to verses um, and, and where, where we learned this from these set of verses, whatever. Given that this was suffering and given that, that a lot of times there is just magic in the wording of the Bible, mm-hmm. we decided to go ahead and take a little bit of time and read through some very specific verses um, on this. And we, 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 you know, there's, well, 1,193 mentions, right? Which so, we are not reading. Which we're not reading all 1,100. But we found 30. So that's the second point with this is is we're going to go through these 30 now. So this is obviously going to be another long chunk. So with that, we, you know, we've long, we, we've always made these long, especially in this season, these long mm-hmm. podcasts. And we were told to maybe consider breaking them into smaller smaller sections um some people don't mind like some people listen to the whole entire thing in one setting that's a very rare number Mm -hmm. others even though it's a super long one they'll just stop when needed one of the things that we've started to do is put timestamps on podbean when when we post the episode so you can tell here's the different main sections and so you you know when you can kind of stop and and start at at a good spot other people just kind of start and stop whenever they want so when we started to record this suffering one, we had thought about trying to, to try this out and split it into a couple of different episodes, but we realized that there was a lot of overlap in the different sections yeah, and we so didn't interconnected. It's so interconnected. We didn't know how to break it up. And so we're, we're already at an hour and 55 minutes uh, right now going through all this. So this, this is going to be another, you know, close to three hour one. Um, so, so all that to say we didn't want to split it up, but we're getting ready to go into like these 30 verses. And so this may be a good point to, you know, like stop here and then kind of come back to it uh, when you're ready. And, and what we want to do is we just want to let the scripture speak for itself, especially if you're like driving or you're running right now. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of times, like when I'm reading article, they'll reference the verses, but I'm just too lazy to go look the verses up um, or too busy or, or too whatever. Busy, maybe. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, and so, so maybe you go look up all these verses when we, when we, when we reference them, maybe you just trust us and, and you just kind of keep going. But we wanted to try something a little bit different given the fact mm-hmm. that, um, uh, this is, this is the suffering topic. So what we're going to do is, is, you know, we're going to kind of let the scripture just speak for itself. And so we're going to read through these. Um, so, some of them are just like one or two verses. Some of them are, are a lot longer and, I think what we'll do, Zach, is let's not make any comments whatsoever on them. Okay. We, when, when we were putting together this outline, we had made some notes and we've got some insights, and, and I want to give them. But this becomes a trust issue for us mm-hmm. of just let, let the scripture just kind of speak yeah. itself. Um, 
and 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 just kind of go with that. Uh, so with that, so some of these verses are like well, just one or two verses. Some of them might be eight or nine. I do think um, Lamentations three is the whole chapter. So I think on that one, instead of reading it, um, I'll, I'll put the notes on that we had. Um, but I encourage you to go back and read that. But I would say for all the rest of them, we can just go ahead and just kind of read it. Okay. Are you good with that? No matter how long it was. Yeah. Well, if it's a whole chapter. Okay. No, but. All right, so the first one is, uh, and, and this is tough for me because I, I, I even said to you at the beginning, we get nervous about just this tediousness mm-hmm. of reading these scriptures, so definitely don't read it monotone mm-hmm. as you read it, yeah. um, but I want to trust that there is something magical um, with, with the wording of scripture. These are, these are all New American, right? Yeah, yeah, all from the New American Standard Bible. Yeah. Um, we probably should have done NLT. Uh, I, I like the NLT. But anyway, so, so we'll, we'll just read them out. Um, and, and if you fear the Spirit just tweaking you on the heart to say something, then go ahead and say something. Or if you're going to highlight or whatever, mm-hmm. I'll leave it to you. Anyways, so the first one is, is Psalm 37, 1 to 9. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers. For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he'll do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the men who carried out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Psalm 39, 4-7 says, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath, Selah. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather him. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. And then in Psalm 62, 5 to 9, My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Men of low degree are only vanity, and men of rank are a lie. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than breath. Proverbs 23, 17 and 18 says, Do not let your heart envy <coughs> sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Jeremiah 14, 22, are there any among the idols of the nations who give rain or who can the heavens grant showers? It is, is it not you, O Lord, our God? Therefore, we have hope in you, for you are the one who has done all these things. And then moving into the New Testament, Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Luke twenty four twenty six. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? 
Acts 5.41. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his, Jesus' name. Romans 5, 1-5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Mm. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Romans eight sixteen to 22. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And then 2 Corinthians four sixteen to 18. This is one of my favorites. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are, are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Second Corinthians 1, 3 through 7 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective and patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope is for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so you are sharers of our comfort. Galatians 3, 1-4 you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Philippians 3, 8 to 10. 
More than that, I count all things to be in loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Colossians 1.24 Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do not share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in fulfilling what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And then 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 to 5. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And when we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you to your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we've been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you or our labor might have been in vain. 2 Thessalonians 1.5 This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. 2 Timothy 1, 8-10. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 2.3. James 1.2.4, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces an endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Hebrews 12.1-2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then 1 Peter 2, 19-25 For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it and patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you've been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. He who committed no sin or was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls." 1 Peter 3, 14-20 But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, 
always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, keeping a good conscience so in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you should suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, for the unjust and the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. First Peter 4, 1-2, and then again in 12-19. to 19. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God." Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes among you for your testing as though some strange thing was happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may also rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of God tests on you, rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but it's to, to glorify God in this, in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, and it begins with us first. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. 1 Peter 5.10, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And then, so those are the verses that we that we went. That was cool. Mm. Uh, I like that. I did too. Um, so we had a couple other longer ones. Revelation two and three. It's the seven letters to the seven churches, and it's talking specifically, I think, contextually to those churches in the, in the end times, but really could be addressed to all churches throughout history. And you're going to see. We're not going to read it all, but you're going to see in there a constant acknowledgement of God saying, hey, I know that you're persevering through some kind of trial. Keep enduring, mm. uh, and you're going to find a reward. Another thing comes from um, from Lamentations chapter three. It's the whole chapter, but uh, but so we encourage you to go back and, and read that on your own. But the idea here, just to kind of give you the context, Jeremiah and his people, they're in a bad way, and it's due to their negligence and fully pers- um, their negligence and fully uh, pursuing God as he asked. So Jeremiah, as he's writing, he realizes that God is stripping him down and he's breaking the people in desperation. Not because of some gleeful enjoyment of punishment. God does not enjoy the process. It, it, you know, he, he does it, again, uh, reluctantly. But it's because he's so good and loving and reliable, and he's doing what it takes to break through the people's stubbornness, to bring them back to a very good place, partially now and, and, and fully in, in heaven. 
So note how human Jeremiah is in, in this chapter. He waffles back and forth between being in despair because of the trials and the tough situation, but also clinging to God in relief. And so we will be the same way. We, we will stray back and forth between being de- depressed because life is tough and then wrapping ourselves in God's robes and finding comfort and strength to persevere. There's times when I'm having a real rough day, I literally will climb into my bed and, and wrap up in the, in the blankets there and just pretend it's like God's robe. Hmm. Um, and I, I'm 45 and I do that. It's just, it's just a sense of comfort for me, you know? Um, it's cause for, we know that in the end God will deliver us and he will make all things right. But for now he intends this for life, this prologue to be messy, to change us. There's a book by Mike Yacanali called messy spirituality that talks a lot about that. And so all this makes us see our trials differently. I've always gotten indignant when things didn't go my way and, and, and I'm just being a petulant child uh, when, when I am that way. A mature water walker, going back to the seventh stage journey, simply accepts the bad and grows through it. It's part of the plan. And so our hope is one, his companionship, provision, transformation, and blessings in the midst of the bad. And then two, a future home paradise party when we get a dance with him and, and each other forever. I'm going to say that again. So part of this, you know, again, sometimes he calls you to flee or fight, then mm-hmm. go do that. But when he calls you to persevere through some sort of trial or suffering, one, just desire his companionship in the moment. Mm-hmm. And then two, it's that hope knowing that this prologue ends and that you're going to have an eternal, you know, you'll live here 10, 30, 60, 80 years, right? How long have you lived? In eternity, which is forever, which we cannot comprehend, mm-hmm. There'll be no suffering. So in the moment, I don't like it and I want to complain, but like right now I'm calm and so I can say this and hopefully I'll say this again when I'm going through my next round of persecution. It's temporary mm-hmm. and I'm already halfway through my life probably. And so I just got to push through the second half and then I'll be in this eternity where there won't be any suffering. Mm-hmm. And that really does just relate back to the eternal, internal, external idea that yep. we talked about in season one. And be you have. Yeah. It, it, it's amazing how all of these biblical concepts really just come together. And uh, if we do have that mindset of being more focused on the eternal, it's going to help us as we uh, just have that perspective instead of focusing on right now, just like you were just saying, I'm halfway through, I hopefully a little less than halfway have long life, um, but it can work through and um, just have that perspective can really be impactful as you keep going through. And so the other point with the lamentations, and actually I remember reading this somewhere and and it might've been Larry Crabb's 66 love letters, but it's this idea that, that God is allowing trials now to teach us something and this is this is a, a gut check and gut punch that stress free living is not sorry that stress free living is not the greatest delight god is an even greater delight and so this is one of those things where we make a priority to have a stress-free life with no suffering because it's nice. Convenient. And convenient. And it is nice and it is comfortable. I'm not going to argue that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to not have any suffering, great, right? Sure. But we need to understand that one of the things, one of the reasons God's allowing this prologue is because he wants us to realize that there's something even greater than a stress-free living. Mm-hmm. 
and it is intimacy with him. And I know that sounds cliche-ish, but I've had these experiences with him, and I can say, nope, I think that's true. And so that's just a reminder for us that, that while it's great to not have suffering and we're going to have an eternity without suffering, in this prologue, I think about people like Nick Vukacek and Joni Erickson Tata and my Aunt Sheila and, and other people who just, it's just one suffering after another, uh, even Caleb. Hmm. Um, it's an opportunity to realize there is, this is EIE, right? There is a, a great, there's something even greater than, than um, no suffering. And, and, and when we begin to taste that and realize it and accept it and embrace it and pursue it and want it, then really we become invincible because when suffering occurs, okay, I think Paul got there. Yeah. When suffering occurs, all right, trials, shipwrecks, beatings, imprisonments. Hmm. He, he was tasting God in very, very real ways, and he was so moved by it that the suffering paled in comparison. That's amazing to me. Yeah, and he even talks about that in his letter the, to the Philippians in Philippians 3. I don't remember if we read this one, but uh, whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And then it, actually in verse 8, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from him on the basis of faith. And so that's one of the things where you can read it and it sounds all kind of churchy and, and, and high theology and what does that really mean, et cetera. But by going through these unpacking studies and yeah. us coming with these concepts, like I could read that verse and not fully understand it. But me personally, by going through an unpacking like this and breaking all this stuff down and coming to better grips with it, mm-hmm. now that I've gone through that, I go back and read that verse yeah. and I begin to understand it. And I think that there's even a little <coughs> side note principle here of as you read scripture, really take the time to just actually try and dwell on it and figure out what it means. Because you could read this ber- verse, whatever were gained to me, those were counted as lost. More than that, count all things to be lost in the surpassing value of knowing Christ, I've suffered all things, counted but rubbish. And it, it's just not going to mean it. anything. Right. And you're going to miss the depth of that to count You've suffered the loss of all things and counts them but rubbish that he might gain Christ. Like there's just such power in the word of God. So I'm so glad that we went through and we just read all of those different passages um, because there is just so much power in there, which makes sense because it is the very word of God. And this is, this is another reason why I do like the unpacking so much, because when you go through the traditional kind of exegetical approach to reading a, a book of the Bible, it's great. It's fantastic. Do it. But you come to passages like this, and you may not fully understand what's going on, mm-hmm. where if you've done an unpacking of the concept, then you come back to this, it, it starts to make a lot more sense. This is why I always encourage people to take both approaches, right? Mm-hmm. So one more passage, and you can't go through the Bible and read verses on suffering without mentioning Job. Yeah. So a year or two ago, um, my community group, we're going through books of the Bible and the, the traditional uh, approach, and we're going, we went through Job. 
and it was it was it was eye opening because Job is always a confusing book, right? Because there's so much dialogue and it's a lot of ancient idioms. And so I had read it in a, a number of different translations, none of which made sense to me. I did actually read Job in the message, and it, it was the best translation of Job. I know people, some people don't like it. It's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. You're right. It's not a translation. It's a paraphrase by <coughs> Eugene Peterson. Mm-hmm. But I do believe he's on to something, and I do believe God's hand was on him in some degree as he was writing that, and he nails Job. So I always recommend people, people read Job in the message. But anyways, so we went through the study. We read it in the message. We also read it in, uh, well, everyone had their own little Bible, so Holman Christian, ESV, NIV, whatever. All anyways, some of the, to, to try, try to summarize all this, um, it, it's 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 a it's a brilliant study. I can't wait to teach it again. The idea here is that there's something called the simple view of justice, and the simple view of justice is if you do good, you're rewarded; if you do bad, you're punished. And the Book of Job is written to help you understand: do not ever hold to that simple view of justice. Hmm. So Job and his friends all held to that. So from his friend's perspective, they said, listen, if you do good, you're rewarded. If you do bad, you're being punished. Clearly, this suffering that you're going through is punishment. Therefore, you've done bad. So you need to figure out what you've done and repent of it. And they just, the three of them repeat themselves through multiple chapters. Job's response was, listen, you're right that justice is if you do good, you're rewarded, and if you do bad, you're punished. Mm -hmm. And yes, you're also right. This suffering that I'm going through is a form of punishment. But here's the thing, I haven't done any bad. So what this means is, is either that God is not just or he's not acting justly. And I just wish he would explain himself to me. Hmm. So you can see, I mean, it's crazy to me, right? For years, I couldn't understand those dialogues of Job. That's what's going on. So so they, they keep going around, circle, circle, circles. And then God finally comes in. You know, Elihu, the fourth guy speaks, and then, and then God comes in. And God has two little speeches that he gives. And in the first speech, it was, um, you know, were you there when I created the heavens and came up with gravity and the, and the flow of waters you know, through the oceans? And do you know how a doe feeds and, you know, all, all these things. And his point here is, do you understand all the details of all this stuff? Hmm. You don't. This is just details of creation. You need to understand, and this is an implied part of it, but this was the point of the, of the passage. You need to understand the sheer volume of details and factors that go on with anything. And I'm the only one that understands them all. So you're sitting here asking me to explain why I'm not acting justly. I'm not going to tell you. I need you to trust me that there are a lot of factors. So what he's saying is don't hold to the simple view of justice. It's a complex view of justice, right? Don't hold to that because there's other factors going on that you don't know about, and I'm Mm -hmm. not going to reveal them to you. (laughs) And then the second passage is like the behemoth and Leviathan, which is this, are you as powerful as I am? So the message as a whole between the two is you don't have, I mean, a a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the understanding that (laughs) I have, Um, and a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the power that I have. I just need to remind you who I am, right? Because he, he was speaking out of a storm. And so Job was noble in his response. And he just shut up. He said, you're right. I'm going to trust you. And then God rewarded him for him. So one of the points of Job, and actually the BibleProject.com talks about this. You know, one of the big questions of Job is, why does suffering occur? It's never answered. Hmm. 
um, God answers a different question or he gives a different answer. And the, and the answer is don't hold to a simple view of justice. Life is complex. Reality is complex. And I'm the only one with perfect knowledge and perfect power and strength. And so I know it's rough, but you need to trust me. Now, what's interesting is, so with the book of Job says, there's many, many different factors as to why suffering occurs, and I'm not going to reveal to you. The Bible does not say as a whole that I'm not going to reveal to you. Just the book of Job says, I'm not going to reveal to you in that situation. Mm -hmm. The rest of the Bible starts showing some, not all, of the factors. Thus, this unpacking study. Mm -hmm. And so this unpacking study was an attempt to try to find some of these factors. That's why it was so helpful for us to be able to nail down. There's the God-initiated suffering for four different reasons and and, and the the corresponding response. And then there's the, and he does it reluctantly, and he only does it in the prologue. Mm -hmm. And then there's the others-initiated suffering, which he doesn't like at all, but because of irrevocable, limited, significant free will and moral responsibility and the conditional goods and all that, he had to allow it, or he, he, uh, he made that decision to allow it, mm-hmm. um, to take that risk. <clears throat> and that's why he, <clears throat> he wants us to step up in justice, social justice, in the making of things right. Mm-hmm. So one of the things here is we need to be doing our part to cause as little suffering as we can. And we need to be doing our part to help others cause as little suffering as they can. And no matter our efforts to that, suffering is still going to occur. Hmm. So when it does occur, this is how you can handle it and respond to it. And all these points that we went through goes back to the evil and sin. You really want to try to limit the amount of evil and sin that you're causing and then help others to limit the amount of evil and sin they're causing. But evil and sin are always still going to happen. So you also need to prepare how to handle that evil and sin. Mm -hmm. So all that to say, God designed a dangerous prologue before the perfect eternal kingdom among other reasons for the specific purpose of perseverance which will then lead to proven character which will then lead to hope which would then lead to glorification you becoming more resplendently heavy mm-hmm. the goal in life should not be to <coughs> avoid suffering but rather to to an extent anyways embrace it and go through it that's what goes back to the fight flight persevere yeah so we're not supposed to make this life heaven we are to accept that this life, this stage, is for what it is, and then just get the trust and growth that come through that. Mm-hmm. So that segues into the third section, which is what are the benefits of all this? And we've already been touching on it. You know, what 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 are the what are the results? Um, what are the benefits that come? And we've already touched on on a bunch of them, but we're going to go ahead and list out just a couple more here. So, what are some of the results of either? <coughs> What are some of the results or benefits of God-initiated suffering? Or what are some of the results or benefits of you responding healthily in a mature way Mm -hmm. to others-initiated suffering? Yeah, I think that one thing that it does is it uh, gives God glory or weight. Uh, and really, you, you begin to recognize his resplendent heaviness. Uh, and so that means that Jesus is being manifested in our flesh so that we can have fellowship with him and be conformed with him. And so that's appreciating his sacrificial sacrifice that he endured for us. Uh, it shows us that God is intentionally and heavily invested in this world. And he's also seeking to redeem and reconcile what's going on here. It'll also help us to know and understand Christ much more intimately Hmm. um, with all the suffering that he went through and finding much greater delight, counting all loss and damage uh, as rubbish in comparison. So think about that for a second. It sounds cliche-ish. I've tasted it a little bit, so I believe that it's a true thing. 
the more that I experience Christ intimately, the more that any suffering I endure just pales. Hmm. Yeah. And then uh, kind of along those lines, it results in us being joyfully humbled. So we really uh, begin to recognize our place as we recognize God, God's place, which really results in what you were just saying with mm-hmm. uh, it diminishing the impact that suffering really has. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. And so there's a lot of rewards that come from being humbled and uh, just recognizing that you are weak. And mm. not only can you rely on God, but he wants you to be relying on him. And that's really how we need to be going through life. So relying on him and his strength instead of trying to do it by yourself. We know that by going through suffering, we can find greater peace, joy, hope, and love. We can find those things without suffering, but we can also find them through suffering. Mm-hmm. And then it also helps us uh, develop a more mature character, and it uh, sets you free and helps the process of being set free from the corruption of your sinful flesh. It opens up opportunities for other beneficial goods to occur, Mm -hmm. such as sharing the gospel, sharing in suffering and comfort together, showing grace and mercy, making us rich in hope, etc. Yeah, and uh, along the lines of hope, it's even going to give us a greater desire for God's coming kingdom and heaven and everything that that entails. And that's a big one, by the way. Mm -hmm. The more we accept the reality of this prologue, Mm -hmm. um, the more we can actually appreciate the future eternal kingdom of heaven. And so if you haven't gone to listen to the heaven study yet, especially if you're one of those going through suffering right now and you're listening to this episode, Mm. please go back and listen to the heaven episode. It's almost three hours just talking about that. It's amazing. Mm. Um, Another thing, if I'm willing to endure suffering, it presents me as a worthy servant and good soldier of Christ, and I'll be given a crown for it. Yeah, and really going off that, you're actually going to be glorified to an extent that far outweighs any affliction that you might uh, be going under and going through right now. So so the third section was real quick um, because we've already been kind of highlighting a lot of these. And so just be thinking through all this that that you're, you're beginning to wrap your mind around the different types of suffering and the different causes of suffering, which means these are the different reasons for suffering and thus the different responses for suffering. Mm -hmm. And you can see that there's many, many different points here, which is why we don't really want to take a simple uh, approach to it all. Um, So now then we can move into the fourth and final section, which is the application. And again, we've already touched on it a lot. So we're going to kind of bullet point um, some points here and, and do a little detail. So one thing is, so, so what's the application here? Given this definition of what suffering is and given the details and nuances of the different types and sources and responses and given the different benefits that we can understand that, that, that come through this. And, and I know we only touched on this, but we probably need to reemphasize this again, especially when it comes to the other initiated suffering. Because God doesn't like that impression, op- oppression, we should really be going out of our way to make sure that we're not oppressing anybody mm-hmm. in any way. And yeah. then also that we are pursuing justice and we're trying to change people. Mm-hmm. And it's not about destroying the oppressors. It's about changing the oppressors, which mm-hmm. is harder to do, but it's the more noble, loving thing. Yeah. But anyways, we should be trying to minimize that, that suffering uh, and then also be ready for the suffering that does come through. Mm-hmm. And so we don't, we don't want to not minimize, or, uh, we don't want to minimize that. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyways. So, we need to accept the reality that this life is meant to have suffering. Mm-hmm. Which um, is hard. <laughs> which is hard. And 
that when it comes to the God-initiated suffering, he does it reluctantly, but it's necessary. And when it comes to the others initiating suffering, he doesn't like that at all, but it was still necessary to, for him to allow it, mm-hmm. given all because those points all that, those yeah, that, that we talked about. So it's like you said, it's hard, <clears throat> but we want to encourage you to really just, because it'll change things. It'll change your attitude. It'll change your perspective. It'll change everything. To re- and this, by the way, this doesn't mean we condone it, and it doesn't mean to roll over and die. I mean, it doesn't mean to not stop it. So, for example, to say that that, that I accept the 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 reality of suffering doesn't mean to always persevere. Hmm. This still comes back to fight, fight, persevere, which we'll touch on in a second. Yeah. So that's one thing. Um, and then also all of those just to go back go back and listen to all the different types and categories and reasons and purposes and responses um, that we went through and remember the idea there is so when you're going through some kind of suffering the application piece is identify Mm -hmm. as best as you can you may need other people to help you with this identify is this God initiated or others initiated mm-hmm. and then, then identify the more details from that. And then once you've done that, then you can know what the response is to it. Yeah. Cause I think that part is important and I've been learning more and more the importance of actually incorporating that into this um, because it helps you really begin to discern what your response is. Um, and so in, in that respect, it's really important to actually spend the time to figure out well, is this uh, other people? Uh, was it other people being uh, just selfish? Were they being prideful? Uh, were they just were a different group of people just failing to act? Uh, or was it God trying to train me or coach me or uh, one of those different components? And so, if you actually take the time to look and trace out, okay, so this is this is why it happened. That helps me process through what's going on and all of that. Mm-hmm. And oh, it also um, it gives you some feet to stand on to really begin to respond well. And so if you can figure out uh, that and move through the process of just working through whatever it was that happened, whether it was, uh, especially if it was someone else, I think, for this one, uh, it really helps you to know uh, that and begin to move to a healthy response as opposed to an uninformed, um, just, eh, I don't really know what happened. Right. And so just response that way. Although I, I also do, I think need to add this. You're not going to know every time why suffering occurred. And so there definitely are going to be times when you're, you're not right. going to be able to figure out right. if Very it was God or if it was others. And so we do need to be willing to recognize that, and because I, I think that it can be paralyzing when you're not sure why this happened. And if you can't figure out the details, um, it, it can be really hard to actually move through. Uh, and so I, I just want you to be aware that sometimes you're not going to get the answers to those questions. Yeah, that's really good. And so being willing to move through that into the response, despite not always knowing the answers to all of the questions you have. So... Application point one, begin to come to grips with the reality of suffering in this prologue. Mm -hmm. Um, Application point two, uh, to the best of your ability, identify what type of suffering this is in its details so you can know the proper response. Uh, Point three, pray. Hmm. And just spend time with God. Maybe this is point one. Yeah. (laughs) 
This bar, isn't necessarily bar, bar the order, zero, but yeah. yeah, because prayer is. And in and, and, and this very next episode, we're going to go into prayer. So we're going to go, and it's amazing, by the way. Yeah. Um, when you understand, I'll, I'll give a, a quick teaser here as far as like if you draw a circle out for prayer and then you draw a vertical line to make two halves, one half of prayer is simply just experiencing God and communing with him. The other half of prayer is the conversation. And then in the conversation half, you would draw a horizontal line to split it into two quarters. So one quarter of that is God talking, Mm -hmm. and then one quarter of that is you talking. And we're going to go through in the quarter of God talking, we'll split that into smaller slivers of some of the different things he's going to say. And then in the, in the bottom quarter of you talking, we're going to split into different things like petition and, and worship and adoration, like the acts, confession, yeah. all that. Anyway, so what's fascinating to me is a lot of times when we think of prayer, we think of this petition where you're just supposed to like mm-hmm. ask, ask God for something. That's just a sliver of the quarter. And so prayer is so much more. We're mm-hmm. going to talk about what it means to pray without ceasing, ceasing in a walkie-talkie fashion. So, so definitely listen to, to that thing. For sure. But anyway, so, so pray and spend time with God. And, and that's going to help you accept the reality of this prologue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to help you identify you know, uh, w- uh, what it all is. Other things that you want to do as you're, as you're praying and you're spending time with God, and this would also be with, with in healthy community as well. Mm-hmm. We've already referenced this, but we'll say it again. You want to begin to have that EIE mindset, that eternal, internal, external, and let the eternal things of God have a stronger pull on you than the external circumstances. You want to remember the sweet and sour mentality that when it comes, there's good beneficial things and there's evil detrimental things. Mm-hmm. Within the good beneficial things, some of them are sweet and they're going to make you smile. Some of them are sour and they're going to make you wince, but they're still beneficial. Um, and then you're going to want to remember the fight, fight, persevere lens. And so I really strongly encourage you to go back and, and listen to that one. And so in that one, we said sometimes the right answer, yeah, God's going to call you to flee. The suffering itself is still going to continue. You're not going to be a part of it because you're getting out of Dodge. Other times he's going to call you to fight. This is the justice thing. So he's going to call you to step in and try to make things right, right? And, and to put an end to that oppression, to that wrong. But it seems that biblically the default answer is to persevere. It's just all throughout Scripture. Hmm. And this is why you're going to want to pay attention to the patience, perseverance, endurance unpacking when we, when we roll that out later. But anyway, so I wanted to take a, a moment just to touch on that because in the persevere, the short answer is you let bad happen to you. Hmm. And so there's, t- there's actually a fourth op- option. So there's, there's fight, flight, persevere and defeat like Mm. to roll over and die and what's funny is not funny what's interesting is with persevere and being defeated on the surface they look the same Mm -hmm. because both of them are to sit there in the midst of the trial or the suffering and let the trial happen to you externally externally Mm -hmm. well well right now just that's on the surface they're both that but underneath there's a lot of differences Mm -hmm. And so where they, yeah, they both would say it happens externally underneath the defeat would also say, let it happen to you internally oh, yeah, yeah. where the perseveres. No, no, no. Only let it happen to you externally. So this is a really interesting concept that persevere would say you need to let at times as God directs, and it is quite a bit, mm-hmm. you need to, um, let a suffering happen to you externally, but never internally. Yeah, as far as like wasting you away or defeating you. And so there's this really cool table that we had set up helping you understand the difference between like letting a bad happen to you and being defeated by that mm-hmm. and then letting a bad happen to you and persevering through it to get stronger. So we're, we're going to read this to you so that you can see the difference between the two. 
Yeah, and so I'm going to read the defeated category, and then Shannon, if you can read the persevering, yeah. uh, so we can really just demonstrate the difference. So starting off, being defeated is a natural response. Where persevering is a supernatural response. If you're defeated, you're thinking externally, you're focused on the negative aspects and unfairness of the situation. Where if you're persevering, you're thinking eternally, you're going in-depth regarding the spiritual significance of what is happening. A defeated perspective is focused on and leaning on self. Where a persevering perspective is focused on God leaning on him. If you're defeated, you've already surrendered to the situation. Where if you're persevering, you've already surrendered to God. If you're defeated, uh, you see it as an opportunity to make excuses or complain. Where if you're persevering, you're seeing it as an opportunity to grow. A defeated person has given up. A persevering person has not given up. They're recognizing, oh, and recognizing that in God's world, to not give up does not automatically mean to fight. This is the difference between fighting and standing. Hmm. Yeah. And if you're uh, defeated, then you've shut down. You have a lack of focus and no active response. Where if you're persevering, you're being intentional and you're making the most of the situation. Being defeated vocalizes the negatives. Where typically if you're persevering, you're much quieter. Uh, some words that really describe being defeated would be envy or self-pity. Where if you're persevering, it's going to result instead in joy, peace, wisdom, strength, resiliency. So so we wanted to highlight that. Um, I really, really like that. It, it, it goes a long way and all that. So spend time with God. Um, get uh, accept the reality of of suffering in the prologue. Uh, identify the suffering in the moment, the what what type it is, so you can learn what the proper response is. Develop that EIE mindset and embrace the sweet and sour good. Um, understand flight, fight, persevere, and then get that wisdom from God as to which is the right answer. Mm -hmm. If it is persevere, remember all that 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 entails. Another thing, this would go with the persevering. Well, this would actually go with, yeah, so any, if you've experienced suffering at all. So this gets a little bit into that emotional counseling mm -hmm. thing we talked about at the beginning, so we at least wanted to touch on it. I can't wait to unpack this more. I'm going to be researching this in 2018, and hopefully we can do another unpacking on this. Mm -hmm. But the idea here is you need to grieve. We've mentioned this before already. You need to grieve the suffering. And I, and I have a visual that, that I've drawn out, but I'm just going to verbalize it here. Imagine like a table um, that is in the middle of the table is the is the grieving process. And so anytime that you go through some kind of suffering, you land on this table. But typically we don't land in the middle. We land in one of the four corners hmm. and you have to move into the middle to the grieving process, meaning that grieving doesn't come naturally for humans. It's not a natural thing that we pick up on. It's very difficult. It's very complex. So that's what I'm going to be studying in this next year is trying to understand the grieving process so we can explain what it looks like to move from the corner into the middle of the table there. Hmm. And so what's interesting is in each of the four corners, there's the more traditional human response. In one corner, it's anger. In another corner, it's depression. In another corner, it's apathy. And then in the fourth corner, it's uh, alternate reality. And so, the, and, and, and so the idea is depending, this goes back to know thyself, depending on how you're wired, when you land on the table, you land in one of those four corners. And so, so it, like I land in the anger corner. Hmm. Um, and so when, I, when, I, when, when some bad happens, I land on this table and I land in the anger quarter, a corner, my natural response is to get angry. 
Um, and so I fall off, and, and off of each of the corners, like we draw these little like rivers or streams. And so I fall into that anger stream and it starts off as just like mild irritation or annoyance. Then it moves into like, like, uh, anger or bitterness or resentment or wrath. Hmm. And the further you get down the river, the harder it is to get out though. It's not impossible where my friend Sabrina, she, she lands in the depression corner. And so at first maybe it's just some sadness. But then as it goes down the current, it gets stronger and stronger into like de- depression or even despair. Hmm. And then other people <clears throat> land in the apathy corner. So they're not comfortable with the emotion of anger or the emotion of depression. So they actually turn to apathy. And so it may start off with just some sort of disconnect with, with the problem. Mm-hmm. But that eventually moves into this numbness where they don't feel anything. And then that fourth category, the alternate reality, here they're so uncomfortable with the bad that in their mind they start recreating or redefining what happened so that they can better deal with it. Mm-hmm. And so at first it starts off with as like a lack of understanding of, of, of an element of the, of the problem. Then it moves to like a misunderstanding. Then it moves to like a redefining. And then eventually the extreme, a whole alternate reality. Hmm. So... I was talking with a, 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 a very brilliant, close dear friend of mine, Vicky, who's, who's a psychologist, and we were, we were talking about this, and uh, and she sees this a lot, you know, and, and she liked the concept. And so the idea is, is when you land on that table, you have one of those natural four bents, and so you need to recognize what your natural bent is, and know that you're that if you're not careful, you'll go down one of those streams into really bad spots. And oh, also by the way, it seems that when you land on the corner, you're ankle deep and ankle deep is actually good. So to be like sad or something like that, the very initial stage is okay, but anything after that is worse. Hmm. And so the idea is you land in that corner ankle deep, um, but instead of moving down the stream, you need to be moving into this mystical uh, circle of, of grief. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. I don't know if I, if I told you that before or not. No, I actually hadn't heard that before. Yeah. Um, that's fairly recent. Uh, and, and, and kudos to Sabrina, uh, us having Mexican dinner and just kind of talking this out and, and drawing it all out. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so the idea there is, is if you are going through some kind of suffering, don't turn to anger or depression or apathy or alternate reality. Instead, try to move into the middle of that table, which is which is the grieving. And it's very, very difficult to do. Hmm. Uh, and, and I wish I could give you more practical. I don't know yet, right? This is I'm still learning this. Anyway, so so grieve it. Another thing that you want to do is you do want to take comfort from others. So you want others to come alongside you and just be there. This goes back to what you said at the beginning, where it's not about information. It's just about presence. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So let others, don't let others come in and give you information, right? Let others just come and sit with you. Yeah, and I know a lot of times in suffering, uh, there's a period of time when you don't want anyone by you at all. True. Uh, which I think that there might, there could, time depending and place on personality um, and time and place and different things, I think that that might be okay. But I do, all throughout scripture, we see the body of Christ and how it's not about one member, it's about the whole body and community and doing things together with people. And so I do think that even for the more introverted people, and if that's the way you process, I do think that there is still so much value in allowing other people to come mm-hmm. around you. Absolutely. Um, which that can be really difficult if they're trying to just inform you what's going on and they're not content to just be present with you. Um, but as people really begin to learn what that should look like to be with someone, uh, I think that it can r- really just be so powerful, just yeah. surrounded by people that care about you. And then another thing that you can do, so so you're grieving instead of anger, apathy, depression, et cetera, and you're letting others come around you, <clears throat> come around you and support you and encourage you and comfort you. Another thing is 
take comfort in the fact that there is a coming atonement or compensation. Mm. We're going to go into a lot more detail into this when we get into the mercy unpacking, which is which this is the forgiveness issue. We touched on it in the evil and sin. It's kind of complex, but I, but it, it comes up here, so I want to I want to talk about it. it. So the idea here is is um, atonement biblically means compensation, mm. and justice would dictate and require that any suffering, any loss, requires compensation. So it's that making of things right. Mm -hmm. So justice always wants to compensate or wants to see compensation for the wrong. Um, And so when we look biblically, we look at this in Job. Mm -hmm. We look at it in, I will repay you for what the locusts have eaten. We look at it in some of the passages about the future eternal kingdom of heaven. And the idea comes up that because God is just, he is going to compensate you for the suffering that you've experienced. Mm, Yeah. And I think I had long thought that that if you're this mature believer, uh, mature person, and you're going through some kind of suffering, you just need to suck it up. You just need to accept the loss. It is what it is. And I'm realizing now that that's not true, mm-hmm. that God is going to compensate you, uh, and he is going to, to compensate that loss. It's his call, though. Yeah. So it may be in this life. It may be in the life to come. If it is in this life, it may be miraculous. It may be more like earthly through other people. Mm-hmm. Um, if it is in the next life, it seems that um, he's going to compensate you even more because he's also going to compensate you for the waiting of the compensation, hmm. right? So anyways, I took great comfort in, in, in going through that and, and trying to wrap my mind around it. That So if you're going through some kind of suffering, knowing that, that God is going to repay you for what those locusts have eaten, and he is going to compensate you fully for any loss that you've ever experienced. And so I look at people who've lost their wealth or lost their health, you know, or lost their, you know, that they were raped or they were molested, you know, or something like that. Any one examples of this or taken advantage of in some way, whatever. Um, they're all going to be compensated, and I'm I'm so thankful for that. And so, in this this practical process, uh, application of how to handle suffering, you grieve it, you grieve, you accept that that a loss occurred, but then you also take comfort in the fact that the loss is going to be compensated by God at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you take comfort with others as they're surrounding you. You also, as with we we said in the love study, love is involved in everything. Hmm. So you want to make sure that you really become more loving. And so what it seems is those four then move to the fifth thing that you need to do, which is the toughest, but it really seems that the more you're doing these four, the easier it is to do the fifth one. And so the more that you're grieving well, and the more that you're taking comfort in the coming compensation, and the more that you're getting comforted by others, and the more loving you are, like the more love you get from God, the more loving a person you become, Mm -hmm. it allows you then to do the fifth thing, which is forgive the wrongdoer. And without going into a whole lot of detail, because we'll do that in the mercy uh, unpacking, forgiveness entails three things. The fancy terms are expiation, propitiation. Oh, well, forgiveness, expiation, and propitiation. Okay, forgiveness is moving the responsibility of the compensation off of the wrongdoer onto God. 
And so you're not going to the wrongdoer to compensate you. You're going to go to God to compensate you. And like when we did that study this past summer, someone had made the comment like, okay, I get that, but I don't want God to compensate me because God didn't wrong me. I want the wrongdoer to compensate me, right? You know, and we're like, yeah, we get that. But then someone brought the point, but think about this though, who's going to compensate you better? The human who already has proven themselves, you know, not, not very trustworthy or the perfect loving God. And so it becomes a trust issue. That, but it makes sense if, and it's not like we're going to God telling him to, God is saying, no, come to me. Cause I'm telling you to, right. Mm-hmm. If the perfect God is telling you to come to, to him for compensation and he's going to compensate better, uh, do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. You have to trust. Yeah. There's a patient waiting. So it is difficult, but you, so you move the, move the responsibility of the compensation or atonement off of the wrongdoer onto God. The second thing is expiation, which is the expiation itself means the extinguishing of guilt. God is already going to extinguish the guilt of the wrongdoer because of the cross. Mm -hmm. So you need to recognize it. You need to recognize that their guilt has been extinguished by God because God did the atoning. And then the third thing is propitiation, which is regaining goodwill toward Sometimes it, it's described as an appeasing of God's wrath. I think it's a limited understanding of it. I think the, the greater understanding is a, a regaining of goodwill. And so you need to regain goodwill towards the wrongdoer. Now, let me say something here. The fourth thing is reconciliation. And reconciliation is where you and the wrongdoer have a completely restored, awesome relationship. That's not automatic. Mm-mm. That depends on the wrongdoer actually acknowledging and confessing their wrong, repenting of it, um, going through some kind of discipline training to get stronger so they don't do it again. Those things are required for the reconciliation. Um, and so that really depends on where they're at and all that kind of thing. But you still have to do the propitiation, the regaining of goodwill. So practically what that means is it doesn't mean you have to go hang out with a wrongdoer. It does mean that sincerely in your heart you actually have to wish them good, not ill. Hmm. Um, and so again, who wants to do that? But it seems going back to if you're grieving well and you're, and you're taking your compensation from God and you're being comforted by others and you're really being a loving, mature believer, then it's going to make it easier for you to shift the responsibility of the compensation off of them onto God, recognize that God's going to be atoning for them so the guilt has been removed from them and then regaining the goodwill toward them. Yeah, and I think a lot of times with that, we want reconciliation to happen first. And we want them to apologize. And we want, like, we have this laundry list of things that we want them to do. Uh, but it's interesting, as you just went through those first three things, uh, it actually, and this is hard, it doesn't really matter what the response is. That's our role in forgiveness. You're right. You're right. And so it's much harder to do. Um, but we need to make sure that we're doing those three things. And then the fourth one is really more dependent on the both of you together. So, so those are the other specific points that we wanted to bring up in the, um, the application. Yeah, and then also, because uh, we said we were going to come back to this earlier, yeah. uh, but the whole idea of, uh, and this is actually kind of a nice little summary for us, uh, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. So what does that actually mean, Shannon? <laughs> um, so we talked about, you mentioned beforehand, before we started the recording, like, you know, you cringe when you hear somebody mm-hmm. say that. And I remember I said, oh, man, you know what? I honestly actually kind of agree with it, but I would have to reword it and carefully define what I mean when I say that. Mm-hmm. So, so here's what I would say. First of all, I would never tell somebody, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. But what I would teach like in a class or here in this recording is, or, or sorry, really quick before you get into that, because that idea really is based on first Corinthians ten thirteen, where it's talking about mm, right, God's not right. going to tempt you more than you can bear. <clears throat> and so. 
sorry. Oh yeah, no, okay, yeah. And so that that verse there, he's not going to tempt you more than you can bear. Is not talking about suffering, mm-hmm. right? It's talking about temptation. So we don't want to use that verse for this, but the principle does remain. And it seems that given God's character and given his love and all that kind of thing, here's what I would say. God will not bring about or allow a level of suffering that you and he together Hmm. over time with intentionality and things like counseling and prayer and forgiveness and all these kind of things, God will not bring about or allow a level of suffering that you and he together over time with all these things won't be able to handle. Hmm. That, that, that's how I would state it. So it seems to me that yet yeah, God's intent is that you and him come together mm-hmm. and you and him work through everything together so I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and, and, and with, with God nothing is impossible and things like that. And so God may allow a very, very intense level of suffering or even cause some level of suffering mm-hmm. that by yourself you can't handle. Hmm. But with him, counseling, intentionality, all this kind of thing, you can handle it. Yeah, and I almost think that that statement and your clarification really demonstrates something about this conversation that we like the nice, trite, easy, quick answer. Mm-hmm. We like to be able to walk around we and humans. say, yeah, as humans, yeah. as a people, uh, we like to be able to walk around and say, God doesn't give you more than you can handle because that's easy, convenient, whatever. Uh, but there is a level of nuance and detail that goes into that. And so it's not necessarily wrong. Like that's, that's not what we're saying. It's not necessarily wrong, but it's incomplete, but it's incomplete. And that incompleteness, if you just try and give that to someone as comfort can really be damaging because what you were just saying without God, there are some things that we're not going to be able to handle on our own. Yeah. Uh, and so if you tell someone God's not going to give you more than you can handle and they say, okay, so I'm going to try and do everything on my own, then they're not going to be able to really understand that. And I think that that applies directly to much of what we can tell others about suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we give them some summary, trite, easy answer of why suffering exists, why we think their suffering happened, all of these different things, it may not be technically wrong, <laughs> right. but it's an incomplete understanding that's not actually going to help them and it's may hurt them. In the, it, and it may hurt them in the long run, yeah. So that would even like, you know, beneficial is good. It may not be technically wrong but it's not good Mm -hmm. yeah so let's finish with this just a a, a couple moments of you and i talking from our heart as far as like where we are with Mm. this like our personal application or takeaway you know from from this study uh for me so you know the enneagram I don't know if you've looked into it or not. I haven't. We're no. going to hopefully include it in Know They Self in the second edition. It's, it's a really cool personality test. There's nine different versions. And and number one is called the Reformer, and that's what I am. And the Reformer, they're, you're wired in such a way that you really want right to occur. And so one of the things that I'm coming to grips with through this study is I need to accept the reality that this prologue was never intended to not have suffering. Hmm. And... I'm learning that because I'm a number one reformer on the Enneagram, that is ridiculously hard for me. Hmm. In fact, I would say probably of all the nine, 
the number ones have the hardest time accepting the reality of, of the existence of wrong because they're so focused on right. And that doesn't mean like, you know, cause the other ones, they'll have something that's most hard for them. Yeah. Right. But so for the, for the number one, what's probably the hardest thing, accepting the reality of mm-hmm. the existence of, of wrong, you know, of suffering. Um, anyways. And so I'm in this battle where God has wired me as this reformer, as this person who desires right to occur. And so I do all this rekindling stuff. I try to discover what right is, and then mm-hmm. I try to live it. I try to encourage others, to teach others what it is, and try to encourage them you know, uh, in it. So that, that on one hand, yes. But on the other hand, we're in a prologue, mm-hmm. the, the broken, messy, beta version prologue. Mm-hmm. And so it's there. And so I'm like, Lord, this is, this is difficult. Uh, and he's like, yeah. And, and I'm like, Lord, I don't know if I can do that. And he's like, yeah. Well, what do I need to do? And then he's like, well, what do you need to do? Uh, I got to lean on you on this one, you know, and really get that acceptance and that patience from him. So for me personally, this one, this one's hard. Um, but, but I know, but one of the things that convinces me to go ahead and embrace this is I know that if I continue the way that I'm kind of built or my natural default, which is to get really irritated or angry or frustrated when I commit wrong or when others commit wrong to me or when I see the church doing wrong, mm-hmm. I can continue doing that. And all it's going to do is build acid and bitterness in me. Um, and it's that acid to the bones. And I've, know, I've learned from the patient study that if I really ch- pursue patience and perseverance, it brings life to the bones. Mm-hmm. And I'm so convinced that I want life to the bones. And so the question for me is, what do I want more in this prologue? Life to the bones or right to always occur? Well, I know that right can't always occur in this prologue. Mm-hmm. It will only always occur in the eternal kingdom where I'm headed. So really, that can't be my expectation. That can't be my goal. My goal needs to be, I want life to the bones, which requires patience and, and, and acceptance and tolerance and, and wisdom and all these kind of things, and combine that also with that pursuit of what is right. And it really is a balance, and in the moment, there's a tension and, and a discernment. So that's that's where I'm at personally yeah. through through all of this. Of, of it'll help me accept suffering better. And, you know, especially, of course, the God-initiated suffering. I get it. Mm-hmm. I get that that's actually going to make me stronger, and I don't have a whole lot of problem with... I'm, I'm at a place now yeah. that I don't have a whole lot of problem with God-initiated suffering. I'm in a much better place accepting that. Um, it's still the others-initiated suffering that I'm, that I'm kind of wrestling with. So so that that's me. That That's where I'm at. How about yeah, you? Yeah, and uh, before I really share where I'm at, there was one other thing that I wanted to say that I realized I didn't, and it uh, was talking about really the others-initiated suffering and resentment. Because uh, I've heard this little phrase before, that resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And so when we think about like, what if you don't go through this? Like, that's really, um, I think, a good picture of what actually happens when uh, we just keep focused on what uh, that individual action uh, and we're focused on the pain and the wrongness that's occurred to us. It really just hurts more, even more than it's going to hurt the other person. Mm -hmm. And so that was one other thing that I wanted to say. Sure, it's good. Um, But for me personally, I think just this big picture of good, evil, and suffering uh, is so impactful with the rest of my theology. Mm. Um, Because even as we were going through the evil and sin study, uh, I started going through, uh, when we went through the actual unpacking group, I started going through and made this huge document of how this impacts all of these other things and how my view of how I'm supposed to respond to suffering and evil 
really impacts um, my view of other things. Because if I am focused on the pain or I am focused on the wrongness that's actually occurring, I'm losing sight of God and his beneficial things. Mm-hmm. And I'm turning to uh, resentment or uh, whatever. There's a lot of different things mm-hmm. that I can turn to. But like I need to keep in mind the big picture, the mm-hmm. eternal picture that when it comes down to it, and I also with this, I recognize that I'm more of an intellectual person. Mm -hmm. And so I do have some emotional components, but the intellect typically wins over in the vast majority of circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so for me, just recognizing that if I'm going to spend time on all of these little details, um, and, um, if I'm focused on the pain or the wrongdoer or what happened or whatever, whatever it may be, I'm never going to be able to process any of it and move on. Uh, I need to have an internal perspective of, will this matter in 10,000 years? Mm. No. Uh, Is it really even going to matter in 50? Probably not. Uh, And so even though things may impact me, even for years to come with different amounts of suffering, Mm -hmm. um, just keeping in mind that if I am turning to Christ and I run to him instead of trying to figure it out by myself, uh, that that really is where I need to be as I work through suffering. Um, Just willing to trust him and run to him and really focus on him in the midst of all of this. Good. So we're going to end there. Um, It's, this is tough for me because you know, I know you're listening and said, maybe, maybe you're not going through a suffering right now. And so you're being preemptive and that's fantastic. I'm really mm-hmm. excited for yeah. that. And definitely give us some feedback. We're, we're trying to get more of those comments on Podbean, just not because we want the comments, but because so we can see and, and see what people liked and, and what stuff to them. Maybe they've got other things they want to offer that others can read, you know, in the comments, et cetera. So let us know about that. But for those of you that have been listening for the last three hours, um, maybe all one stretch, hmm. maybe you, you're having a rough spot. And so you just sat and listened to the entire, entire thing. Maybe you've broken it up over time, whatever, but you're going through some kind of suffering. Uh, you know, I wish I could just sit with you. Um, yeah, I, I, I hope that something came through. We, we prayed over the, over the recording beforehand. I hope that there was something that you needed to hear. There was some little aha moment or some little insight or some little explanation or, or connection or whatever that is helping you process through this. Um, or that through this entire process, you couldn't even explain it, but you feel better now. Mm-hmm. You feel a little more joy, a little more peace, you know, or a little stronger or whatever. That would be fantastic. But maybe not. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've listened to all this and, and you're still just in a wretched spot, mm-hmm. you know, and you're just hurting deeply. Please find somebody yes, that's yeah. tr- that's trustworthy, you know. And, and more than anything, you go into prayer, you find God. Mm-hmm. That's another whole long thing of of how to hear His voice in the moment, right? And so you have to kind of develop that uh, before you you can you can do that. But you can, you can go to Him in, in mm-hmm. prayer, but then go to find somebody else that that you trust that can be comforting for you. That again, it's not about the information they can present to you, but more about just their their presence, yeah. you know. Um, and as always, feel free to contact us. You know, you can go to the website, the rekindlingministries.org or you can email us at info um, at rekindlingministries.com but I'm, I'm wishing you well um, and, and, and please know that that how long ever this has been going on how long ever it continues to go it is temporary and I don't mean to say that in some sort of cliche-ish way but, but remind yourself that there is a coming perfect eternal kingdom 
And in Revelation, it says that every tear will be wiped away and there's no more sin. There's no more sorrow. There's no more sadness. There's no more drama. There's no more pain. All the pain that occurred in the prologue will be compensated for. It's just this an amazing, amazing thing. And if you're already a believer, if you already believe and you accept that Jesus is Lord, you know you're going there. Mm-hmm. If you're not yet, you know, we, 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 we kind of joke when we say you haven't drank, drank the Jesus Kool-Aid yet, but you haven't placed that commitment to him as your king. Know that you can and know that it's not about all the rules that you're supposed to do. Know that there's a bunch of benefits and a bunch of reasons to hold to this. One of them, given this context of what we've just been talking about, is so that one day you can go home and you can be compensated for all the wrongs and and you can experience an eternal life with none of that drama. Again, there's many, many more reasons that that's not the only reason to do that, but it's a very comforting one knowing that that that, that is there for you. And so I encourage you just to spend some time thinking about Jesus and, and knowing that he that if it's a, if the suffering that you're going through is something that he's causing. It's because he's trying to warn you away from a greater evil or he's trying to make you stronger or he's asking you to make a sacrifice for another. Um, if, if it's not God initiated, uh, if, if others are causing this, know that Jesus, his heart is breaking for you, that he's distressed by this, that he doesn't want this to happen. And if you're like, but why then let it? It's because that he had to allow for that, that significant irrevocable free will. And he, and he, and he's called us to moral responsibility and it was a big risk and it's messy with this prologue, but it is what he had to do. Uh, and, 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 and trust in that, that he wants to come alongside you and he wants to give you the strength to either endure it or the wisdom and strength to flee or how to fight it, overcome it, you know, whatever the right answer is there. Uh, and so, so keep plugging away with that. Um, so thank you guys for, for listening. Mm-hmm. The, the next episode that we get into is, is the final book into this first part of season three, uh, which is the prayer. And so it's going to go into how to just sit with God and how to begin to listen to him and, and, and talk through some of these things. And so, so please be willing to, to give that a listen. And so, um, thanks again. We, mm-hmm. we, we love you guys as best yeah. as we can from a distance, uh, and we'll see you guys for the next episode.